Awesome. So it's one o'clock and I'm going to go ahead and get started with the meeting format. My name is Trish and I'm a re grateful recovering compulsive eater. It's great to see you all. Yay. So welcome to the uh, Sunday, 1 p.m. Pacific time, Overeaters Anonymous OA Rise meeting. This is the February 6th meeting, uh, OA Rise speaker meeting uh, for Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, again, my name is Trish and I am a compulsive eater and your leader, your host for this meeting. OA Rise stands for Recovery Inspires Shared Experiences. And we're glad that you are here. As with all OA meetings, OA Rise is run entirely by members who are volunteering their time to make this meeting happen. On occasion, there are glitches in online meetings that can, cannot be anticipated. Please bear in mind that we are doing our best. So we ask that you take any negative reactions to your sponsors. However, we would be happy to hear from you if you have construction, constructive feedback for us. Thank you for your support. Uh, I'd like to open with the serenity prayer. Those of you who wish to, please join me. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. As we extend the heart and hand of the OA Fellowship to those who still suffer, let us be mindful of OA's unity with diversity policy which respects our differences yet unites us in the solution to our common problem. Whatever problem you may have with food, you are welcome at this meeting. I'm gonna ask if somebody would be willing to read the OA preamble, I can screen share it. And I can't see if anybody- Margie raised her hand. Margie, all right. Do you happen to have it Margie or shall I screen share it? Share screen, come on, let me share screen. There we are. Can you see it, Margie? Okay, could you, oh, just a second, we need to unmute you. Let me ask thank you to you. unmute yourself. Yes, yeah, thank you for screen sharing. Um, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. <clears throat> Excuse me. Neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Thank you, Margie. I appreciate you reading that for us. So this is a speaker meeting. At this time, our all attendees are muted. This meeting is being recorded so that an audio only recording can be posted to the OA Rise website. Should there be a Q and um, sorry, there will be a Q and A at this meeting. Um, and if you have questions for the speakers and you do not want your name to be used when we call on you, either chat your question to the hosts or change your name 
on as it appears on Zoom because we will be calling on people by the names they have on their name, on their little box. So for your anonymity, please change your name or chat your question or comment to the hosts. Uh, here are a few tips for participating in this Zoom meeting. The chat feature is currently off and it will remain so until the end of the meeting. You may chat with any of the co-hosts if you need assistance. Please note that the speakers are listed as co-hosts only so they can unmute themselves. They will uh, not necessarily have time to review questions you chat to the speakers. So please chat your questions or comments to other co-hosts. Uh, yeah, if you have questions or concerns regarding technology, contact the other co-hosts. You can change your name as it appears on Zoom. To do this, click on the participants tab at the bottom of your screen and a list of attendees will open in a separate window plane. Select your name, click on the tab that says more and choose rename. If you are willing, please add your geographical location after your name so that we can see where everyone is from. Out of courtesy to other attendees and to the speakers, if you get up and move around during the meeting, if you need to eat, check your phone, talk to someone who's in the room with you, please turn off your video feed so that your actions will not be distracting to others. If it is necessary, we may turn off your video feed for you. Uh, we've only had to do that a few times when people went to the bathroom and forgot they had their video feed on. So be mindful of when your video feed's on. Um, then we can also turn it back on for you if you text the, or chat the hosts and, and we'll let us know you're ready to be turned back on. Please note that specific foods may be mentioned at this meeting. Um, there will be a five minute break after the first and second hour of the meeting. And as you've probably already noticed, we are recording this meeting to post an audio only recording on the OA RISE website. Um, then please also bear in mind that the opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. Could I please get a volunteer to read the 12 steps? And again, I can screen share those. I'm looking for, oh, Sherry, can you read those for us? Okay, ask to unmute and I'll screen share the steps. Okay, can you see them? Uh, yes. Hi, friends. I'm a compulsive overeater and bulimic. My name is Sherry. Here are the steps adapted for Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take a personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 
11 sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Sherry. It's good to see you. Thanks, you too. All right, so could I get a volunteer please to read the traditions? And again, I'm happy to screen share those. Nancy B, would you be willing to read the traditions for us? Yes. Hi, I'm Nancy B, a compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank Thank you for letting me read. Thank you, Nancy. Awesome. So our seventh tradition, according to our seventh tradition, we are self-supporting through our own contributions. We send all contributions in excess of our expenses directly to the World Service Office to help carry the message to other compulsive overeaters. Our meeting expenses are Zoom subscription and the OA Rise website, which includes the cost of extra storage so we can upload the speaker recordings for you. Contributions can be made by PayPal to our email address, which is info at oarise.org. Or you can visit our o- the website, oarise.org, and click Contribute Now button, which is easily found on the home screen. A suggested contribution of $3 
substitute by each attendee is suggested. All right, it is now time to have uh, to introduce our speakers. We have Terrell and Seppi, and I am told that Seppi's going first. So <laughs> Seppi, take over. Okay, hi everyone, I'm Seppi Compulsive Overeater. Um, thank you for having us here from Los Angeles. I see one of our regulars here, Nancy. Hi, Nancy. It's it's wonderful seeing you, honey. Um, Sepia Compulsive Overeater, February 1st. So just six days ago, I celebrated 35 years of abstinence from refined sugar. So um, I'll start with my story. I want to do the traditional what what I was like, what happened, what it's like, uh, what I'm like now. Um, I am. I was a very skinny child, uh, an athlete, a ballerina, straight A student. I'm an only child. So far, based on my memory, there hasn't been sexual abuse or anything that I can recall. Certainly, parents that were less than less than well-equipped to have a child, but no abuse that I have heard so much of in the meetings. Um, I think there was ism in my family. I'm pretty sure my dad was a compulsive gambler. He was certainly compulsive something. So I firmly believe I got a gene from my dad. And, um, but as I said, grew up, I, I can't explain why I turned to food. Uh, well, actually, I can. I'll let you know in a, in a little bit. But even while being skinny, even while being, uh, you know, written up for a ballet um, in my home country, which is Iran, even though I was an athlete in school and a straight A student and an only child, so I got all of my parents' attention, I always felt severely less than. Um, which, you know, of course, I didn't have words to put around it at that time. Now I understand that's the terminology. Um, but I did just feel like everyone, all of my friends, even though I was one of the popular kids, I kind of felt like I'm not of those popular kids. I'm of these popular kids. Um, and even though I'm the kind of person that so many kids followed, I just still felt like, no, 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 you don't understand. You, you know, I, I don't have the right thing. Uh, and the right thing was always outside of myself. So again, food, nothing. My, in fact, my parents really had to chase me to feed me. Uh, but what I did eat is essentially what, here I am now 60, I still, the only things I want to eat are fruit and sweets. And as a child, I wanted fruit and sweets. And my parents had to chase me to feed me, you know, nutritious food. Food, I, I started resort picking up food, which I guess is our term, uh, around 11, 12. And that's the first time I noticed I'm eating stuff that I don't even like and didn't understand why. In the span of about 12 to 18 months, uh, my parents got a divorce. They shipped me off to an all-girls boarding school so that I'm not in the middle of an ugly divorce, and I hit puberty. Um, any one of these things, I would imagine, requires uh, some hand-holding for a teenager to, or I guess it was pre-teenager, to digest. I certainly didn't have any of it. 
And all of a sudden, I re I found myself eating uh, toast with butter. Uh, and I'm sorry to mention food, but I hate butter. I still hate butter. So to I could not understand why I'm eating something I don't like while watching TV. Um, so went off to boarding school. And that's where, you know, in an all girls boarding school, what do you do? You just have feast, chocolate, chocolate. I'm sorry, I'm talking food. Um, all girls boarding school, when you're not, when you're good girls and you're not doing drugs and alcohol and are with uh, boys, the choice becomes food. And we did a phenomenal job. Um, we were, um, I was in a boarding school in England so all of the sweets and, you know, most people think of England and think of horrible food, but let me tell you, their desserts are phenomenal. Discovered that and from there on really started the journey of gaining weight and, you know, a bunch of lonely girls in a cold, in a figuratively and literally cold place. So you're freezing to your bones and there's no warmth from your adults because they're trying to mold you into something so all we had were was food and um i'd plump up go home to iran for my vacations my parents would look at me in the uh airport when they picked me up and they'd be horrified and um you know whether it was christmas break or spring break or summer vacation and it would take me the entire vacation to lose the weight and then I'd start the whole journey again when I did that. Um, and one thing I want to talk about what, what the difference is between being a compulsive overeater and not. I did all of this with my cousin. She's like my sister. Her name is Shireen. So we, you know, she's my first cousin. We would go plump up together and come back. And here's the difference between a compulsive overeater or not. The day after we got back, Shireen would be, and she, she was chubby too. She would get together with the friends she hadn't seen for a few months. She just was excited to, to be home. She'd go swimming. She'd go uh, water skiing. Whereas for me, I would refuse to see my dearest friends that I had been pining for, for at least a week till I lost some weight before it was acceptable to see them. And as it relates to swimming or water skiing or anything, wasn't until at least, you know, I'd lost 10, 15 pounds. So two, two teenagers, exact same experience to completely different reactions. And I started living in a prison of my own, which continued through abstinence. But that was the first manifestation. She just got on with her life and I didn't. So um, the last year in boarding school, I got very anorexic. I think I was 80 pounds, don't know. Came home, my parents freaked out for a different reason. They didn't know what the hell anorexia was. They just thought I'm dying. So they said, okay, you're not going back to England anymore. You're gonna go to college in the US. Came to the US, went from an all girls boarding school to a co-ed college. And boy, did I not have the tools to deal with boys um, at the, I started going to college at 16. Um, and certainly United States is just uh, a 
a delicious buffet of desserts. Um, absolute delicious, never ending buffet of desserts. I don't even remember college, honestly, it was just a blur, just a blur of food um, and things I didn't do because I hated myself. I did try drugs. Um, every drug that was supposed to be an upper to help with appetite. I tried lots of speed. I loved Coke. All of those things would help for a few hours. But when I crashed, um, I would eat with vengeance. So graduated, don't remember college, my poor parents, I have no idea what the hell they paid for. You know, just, it was a blur of food, honestly, kid you not. Graduated, came to live with my family in Newport Beach here, and up, down, diet, fat farm, shots, Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, all of these things. Then um, I think some, I, the entire time I knew that something, you know, I, I'm just a pig. There's no way that I'm going to ever be okay. I'm a pig. And at the same time, I had the ego that goes with this disease, which uh, said while I considered myself a pig, I wanted to be on the cover of Vogue uh, because that's the ego of a compulsive overeater. Somewhere along the line, I read in, in Cosmopolitan magazine about the a term compulsive overeating. And it, and, I, and it drew an analogy with Alcoholics Anonymous. At that time, I did, did not know anyone in my circle of friends who was an alcoholic, uh, but I had heard of the term Alcoholics Anonymous. And for some reason, it had tremendous credibility for me in my mind. Um, so when I heard, when I read, uh, the seed was planted ever so small. Then um, a dear friend of mine took me to my first OA meeting. I'm 23 at this point. So three people there who said they had been 300 pounds. And I looked at them and I was shocked because they were so phenomenally normal. And not only were they normal, they had been that size for 10 years or so for a long period of time, which was just baffling to me. I was never a hundred pounder, but whatever my ups and downs were, 30, 40, 50, the idea of staying one place for multiple months, leave alone multiple years was mind boggling to me. Loved it, just was enraptured. So somebody mentioned God and I was like, ah, crap. no, surely you just, you can't. This was just such a, bait and switch, you had me um, so excited, so engaged, and then you have to go on ahead and ruin it with this shit. Um, but again, you know, one of the things I've had to learn in 35 years of abstinence is exactly how common I am, how unspecial my story is, how typical my story is. So, uh, which is not something a compulsive overreader wants to hear. We all wanna hear, there's something special about this, or at least that's you know my person. Everything I say is the opinions of a very opinionated old timer. So take it with a grain of salt. Um, or what the hell was I saying? So truly, just like they say, 
that the real seed was planted. And I knew sooner or later, I'm going to have to go back to this frigging thing. And I didn't like it because, you know, God is the, in my upbringing, was the uh, crutch for the uneducated masses. You know, who, what intellectual, what, what educated person puts the responsibility of anything on God? That's just asinine in my upbringing, in my mind, um, in my extremely, you know, high functioning mind, which to this day baffles me with its intellect. Uh, oh God, my face doesn't come across in um, the recording. So whoever listens to this is going to think I'm serious without seeing my face. Oh, well, I'm not. Um, so the seed was planted, but I was like, man, no way I'm coming here a couple of times a week. I have TV to watch. I have cop shows to follow. And God, I don't think so. But the seed was planted. So within um, a few months after that, I was in a very bad car accident. I was in Cedar sinai for a couple of weeks, which is a hospital here in, United, uh, in Los Angeles. And when I woke up from being unconscious, you know, the first question was to make sure that I was not paralyzed and I could watch. And the first question, the second question was, have I lost any weight? And, you know, again, it makes sense to any compulsive overeater. When you're 23 and you have the metabolism of a hummingbird and you're not constantly eating, yeah, you're going to lose weight even on a feeding tube. So I had to be on a, a walker for a few months. And this is, you know, 1985, 80 something. Um, the, this, the walker was not motorized. It was not sophisticated. I had to pick it up and put it down. You know, no, no, it was just very um, uh, elementary for lack of a better word. Why is that important? Because I had broken my pelvis and your pelvis is really fundamental to any movement. Obviously, you can think of watching, you know, if your pelvis is broken, it hurts. Taking a deep breath hurts. Sneezing, didn't sneeze for six months. But short version, it's so inside, they can't localize it. But with this pain, with a walker, where I had to be driven to physical therapy, you know, three times a week, I found myself walking enough, enough times to the refrigerator, standing there and eating enough to start gaining weight. So that's a commitment to, um, I, I said this the other day, and I guess I should say, rephrase it. It's, I, I always say it's a commitment to compulsive overeating, but it's not a commitment. That's a compulsion. Couldn't have stopped myself if my life depended on it. So shuffling with pain, enough times to the refrigerator, on a walker, standing there, eating enough to start gaining weight. J just think about how horrible this the compulsion of overeating is. Could not understand why I'm doing it. Um, I hope it's 10 minutes. I need to come back to the program. So really the entire eating history from beginning to end was from 12 to 24. Up, down, end of conversation, insanity. Came to OA and um, I'm one of those people who just sat in the back, did not talk to anyone, would slide in when the meeting started. And because I sure as hell didn't want to touch anyone and 
darted out as soon as people started shuffling and it looked like it was the end of the meeting. I didn't know the prayers. I didn't hold one and hold anyone's hand. I just said, leave me the hell alone. Just let me do this. And I am so phenomenally grateful that I was allowed to practice this program at my own pace. Um, there were two older ladies, Nancy, this is for you, Jean and Doris. Carol, this is for you, Jean and Doris. There were two sisters that um, there is an absolute special place in heaven for them. The way they showed up week after week and made the newcomers like me feel like there can be a future where you're not killing yourself with food. So I did this at my own pace. Now, I don't recommend it because if I had do, uh, if I had dove in, I don't know if it's the right past participle. Someone, an English teacher, correct me. If I dove in more wholeheartedly, I would have probably had peace of mind a lot sooner. But it is what it is. It's my story. Um, uh, now, the, then... Um, one day after going in and my food wasn't changing, after the meeting, before I could dart out, this lady walked up to me and she said, hi, you know, my name is, uh, forget her name, Liz. Um, I wanna be your sponsor. I'm like, oh, good God, please, not another one of these crazy ass people. And she said, what is your eating like? What is your food, uh, food like? And I said, really, my issue is sweets. You know, I'm, I, I'm not a big meal eater, I'm not a big, pasta eater, meat eater, pizza eater. It's just sweets. And she said, can you go a day without sweets? Um, and I said, oh, hell no. Clearly you did not just hear me. That's all I eat. She said, okay, can you not eat refined sugar? And I had no idea what the hell she's talking about. So she said, come with me. And she drove me to a health food store here in Los Angeles called Irwan. Um, and again, please remember, this is 35, 36 years ago, where, you know, sugar-free options were not as plentiful as they are now. Today, I can go to 7-Eleven and there are 50 sugar-free things. So she said, can you hear all these things that are sweetened with honey, with fruit juice, with honey and fruit juice were the only things at that time. These can be your options instead of what you're eating now. Can you do that today? And I thought about it and I said, yeah, maybe just for today. So, you know, I bought a fruit juice sweetened peanut butter cookie bigger than my head. I bought like two pounds of fruit juice sweetened granola, whatever. But that's the way I started that, you know, just gave up something. Wasn't everything, just gave up something. And that has been my story throughout 35 years. Um, you know, I could talk forever about all of the sugar-free things I played with and all of the adverse reactions that I had from gas to having to dart out of social environments because I had unexpected diarrhea, which happens if you consume diabetic candies enough or um, just embarrassing you know, the, the, the demoralization, I forget the four words, but de the demoralization is front and center. It's not limited to the alcoholic who barfs in an inappropriate place. Can you think of how embarrassing it is to have to dart out from being with your friends 
This is in abstinence. Please note, this is in abstinence. But I've never changed the date of my abstinence because I have not had refined sugar. Why am I telling all of you this? Because food is a very different animal than in all my times in these programs. I've worked, almost all of my sponsees have um, alcoholism or some other addiction that they have that you know they have to abstain from and food is a different animal i have so much respect for this disease it is you know the language of love in every culture your mom in every culture your mom nurtures you feeds you loves you with food so I don't need much therapy to let me know that this thing runs deep. Um, anyway, so I started with that, but the, the real, real turning point were the 12 steps. Um, at the time that I came in, the only 12 and 12 available was the AA 12 and 12. I very clearly remember step two in AA 12 and 12. There's a part in there that says, if you consider for the intellectual, and I'm like, okay, let's see what he has to say about me. I'm the intellectual. And it said, if you really consider yourself to be scientific or intellectual, and here now, you know, now I'm going to screw up. I'm paraphrasing. You really have to look at the data and the data suggests that this thing works. And it just sucker punched me. I had nothing to say. That was my last, um, that's when I started to believe this thing could work. If I looked at the data, I had thrown so much money at different options at this. And here I was looking at people who had gotten thin from much heavier starting points than I was, had stayed normal looking, and I'd have to have my head up my ass not to acknowledge that there is evidence, there is scientific evidence, two plus two in OA equals four for everyone, not just for some people, two plus two equals four. You do things you don't want to do every day. I don't care what you call it, contrary action, doing things you don't want to do, refraining from your character defects, don't care. To this day, 35 years later, my every single day, I have a shit, I do a shit ton of things I don't want to do and refrain from doing the one thing I want to do, which is sit in front of the TV with a box of bonbons. That has never changed. That's my DNA. And I always say, you know, people look at me, I have frizzy hair. There's never going to be a day I'm going to wash my hair and it's naturally going to dry silky smooth. I don't believe at this point there is going to come a day where my reaction to any situation or my assessment to any situation will be as normal and appropriate as that of a normie. My first point of reference remains fear. And then what 35 years has given me is a lot of tools and a lot of data points to say, okay, honey, let's peel you off of the ceiling. Here are 
75,000 things that in these 35 years where you thought, this is it. This is the time God's going to teach you a tough lesson. And so far, it's never happened. Um, I'm not sure how much time. Has it not even been 15 minutes that I've been rambling? Good Lord. Okay, apparently not. I'll keep going. Um, so I, so that, that step two was really the beginning of me saying, I'm going to trust that this program, even the one, the one that, ref, that mentions God, um, is going to work. I, you know, I would just have to be unscientific to, to say it's not going to work for me. And then it started a bunch of contrary actions. I started going to a, there was an, I lived somewhere, there were AA meetings um, there every morning at 7.30. I'd go there. I didn't really identify because I, you know, I thought it's not appropriate for me, but I took, you know, every day they said, who is available for cleanup? And I raised my hand and I would empty ashtrays of these disgusting people who I didn't even have their disease and what a filthy thing, but I was willing to do that. I barely sweep my own freaking house, <coughs> but I'd pick up a broom and I, you know, I, I did things that I was told somehow it's going to protect me from killing myself with food. And then there came a day, I don't remember when it was, um, where I went to a, a grocery store and the urge hit me. And the urge that I'm talking about is, you know, the one that you're on autopilot, you just go to candy store and you have no idea what happened. And you get in the car and rip the frigging thing apart. And before you even turn on the, put the key in the ignition, you've devoured half of it. And I said, okay, God, if you're there, if you care about my abstinence, because I personally think you have a lot more important things to do than really care about me being a pig, which is how I talk to myself in early days. Um, if you really are there, you're going to have to take this one, man, because I sure as hell do not know how I'm going to leave here without two, three, two pound bags of chocolate. And I walked up and down that aisle easily 45 minutes. Um, I'm sure, you know, if right now there was a video of that, I would look um, crazy or suspicious or warrant some kind of an action by the general management of the store. But I walked up and down, I put the candy in my bag and I take it out. I put it in my bag and I'd go to another part and I put it. And the short version is 45 minutes later, I walked out without the chocolate and it was the first time that I had really asked for his protection against something and it worked. And then, you know, the next time after that, I, you know, a, a little thing else happened and it worked. And I was going, you know, I lived in, in LA at this point and I'd go to my uh, family's house on the weekends in Newport beach. And they had no idea what I'm doing. They don't understand the way they, uh, my cousin always calls it art. Sepi, are you still going to those assholes anonymous meetings? And I say, yes, my darling, I still am. Gladly for the rest of my life, I'm going to go to assholes anonymous. Um, so they prepared my favorite food that, you know, that was their way of showing love to me. 
And I would just park outside and say, God, you've got to come in with me. Please hold my hand. I have no defenses against these favorite dishes they've made for me. And it started with, you know, me having a little bit and then slowly saying, okay, I really don't need this. Thank you. The first few times I said, I really don't want this in a harsh way. And then my sponsor taught me, you know, you don't have to kill it. Um, you know, but you don't have to bludgeon people who are trying to be kind to you. You can just do it lovingly. And it, the whole thing has been a journey. The whole thing has been a journey, but I can't stress enough that it's a journey coupled with action. You know, I'm not going to say if I had aged 35 years, I would still be, I'm, I would be the same person. No way, no how I would be who I am now at 60. I learned exactly um, how selfish and self-centered I am. You would not have been able to convince me that I am selfish. I, I thought I do everything for everyone. If they would just understand, if they would just appreciate what I'm doing. Okay, Sophie, um, that's 15 minutes. Oh God, I have 10 more. Help it might be a little bit longer than 15 because um, evidently we lost track of who was timing. So I Okay, definitely. It feels like I've been yakking forever. Carol is coming up to 141. I could be quiet now. Carol? Oh, he's not paying. Okay. okay, so for right now, I'm going to turn it over to the person who's been my brother and my shining star for the entire duration. And I'm sure we'll come back again. Okay, I'll be quiet now. Now I get to criticize your pitch. <laughs> uh, hi, I'm Terrell, I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, let's see, I think I sent you a picture, uh, before picture, Trish, did you, do you have that? Do you want to switch? can you screenshot, screenshot that real quick? I, I'll, I'll do my best to find it real quick, Terrell. Okay, <laughs> uh, let's see, uh, I, I have the capability, can I? Let's see, I don't know how I do this. Anyway, I'll let's see if you can figure it out. If you just pop it up when we're talking, that's fine. Um, so to qualify, um, my top weight is um, somewhere around 325 pounds, give or take. And uh, I have 43 years of abstinence. So it's, uh, I, I used to say I'm an opinionated old timer, but I was at a, convention recently there's a lot of opinionated old timers so i'm going to try and not be so opinionated not be so expressive in my opinions i might have the opinions but i might not express them i'll try not to express them so much but i will say that if, if it's not in the big book it's, it, then it's not in program right so um <clears throat> but this first portion is going to be about what was like what happened what we're like now and then and then we'll have uh, oh there i am um that's my senior picture um, and that's, that was before my top weight because I was, I gained weight after that. And the picture in the bottom left-hand corner is me um, at my low weight at about 160. And I always like to say that at both, I felt just as fat in the boat picture or in the bottom picture as I did in the top picture. Um, thanks, Trish, that's, I think that's enough. Um, so then it was like, and I would stand in front of the mirror when I was at 325 pounds and going like, how can people tell I'm fat? Because I mean, I was picked on mercilessly. I mean, I, I, you can see, I mean, obviously I was overweight as a kid. And so high school was, you know, I, my nickname was Terrell the Barrel. 
um, you know, and they write my yearbook, don't get too close to Niagara Falls, you know. Um, so, I mean, today is be called bullied. Back then it was just, you know, I was, um, you know, I was just picked on. Um, and I mean, I literally stand in front of the mirror going like, I can't, I can't tell people why people think I'm fat. I mean, because I wasn't looking at the body, right? It was just, it was just somewhere and that was denial. And then of course, when if I'm at 160 pounds going like, oh my God, I'm so fat, I'm so fat. Once again, that's denial too, right? It's, we can call it body dysmorphia. We can call it a lot of things, but the bottom line is, I, you know, what I think about my body size is really distorted and it really not based upon reality. Um, so I, I, I'm like Seppi, I can tell you why I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, if you had my mother, you'd be a compulsive eater too. Well, that's a joke because you can't, I can't, my mother never made me a compulsive overeater. Um, you can't, I can't blame someone for anything. That, that, but I can say that the disease runs rampant in my family. Um, the ism, um, as we call it, um, there was compulsive spending, there was um, alcoholism, there was drug addiction, there was codependent, there was, you know, you name it, and it was there. And so um, I, we always, we tried to find a way to get away from us, right? To get away from, from the family. Um, it was, I mean, we, we, my, I have, I have, um, there was four of us kids. We all talked about how we tried to get away from the family. My oldest brother is a Dean of Science at a university. He's the oldest brother. He's the overachiever in an alcoholic family. My uh, sister was a scapegoat. She was a heroin drug addict and was a, wound up being a prostitute on the streets of Hollywood Boulevard. Um, my older, my other brother is the clown, which is which was the birth order of an alcoholic family, and I'm the quiet child. And so I, I just thought if I could just disappear, life would be better. Like I mean, literally. I walked around a lot thinking like, if I, if I killed myself, your life would be better. And that, that's, that really is, I, I mean, you know, that's the piece of shit the world, the world revolves around that like, I'll kill myself to make your life better. And so I, I, um, I, I, that's where I kind of grew up with this, this, this feeling like feeling different. Now. I was born in Oklahoma, but I was shipped to California when I was age four because my family was going through a divorce. My parents were going through a divorce. So I wound up in, in Los Angeles, Southern California with a very strong Oki accent. So I felt different then. One of my first memories is uh, my nephew, I mean, my cousin and I had about the same birthday, one day different. And he had a big birthday party with all his friends and I had no one because I was visiting. And so it was like, you know, I just felt different. And at, at age four, I discovered a fudgesicle and it changed my life. It literally changed my life. It, when I ate that fudge sickle, there was this feeling of like I can breathe. And, and, and so I come from this addictive family, an, an addict, right? We all, we all, we all, mom, all my siblings talked, joked about like, we found a way to get out, right? You know, my brother was working at, my brother working at zoos at age eight. You know, we all found ways to escape from the family. I discovered food and I had fudge sickles. And I mean, I was very proud of the fact that I wasn't a drug addict or alcoholic like my, the rest of my family, but I'm 325 pounds, right? 
And my other brother, uh, my brother closest to me in age is also a compulsive overeater. He has said it, uh, um, he has gone to meetings um, and he, and so we, we all found ways to escape. And so I escaped through with a fight sickle and I pursued that, that for the rest of my life, for the rest of my eating career, thinking that maybe if I can just get the right donut combination, I can just get the right food combination, I can just get the right thing, then I can go and I can breathe. And, and uh, so what happened was I, um, I got, you saw my senior picture. I was, you know, I was, I was miserable. I, I mean, I, I wanted to kill myself. And um, I was berated um, by, my, by my stepfather one time about, um, you know, like uh, he said, all you do is you, you don't do anything. You don't get out of the house. All you do is play around, watch TV. You know, why don't you got to make some friends and do something like, and I'm 17 years old. And I said, if I could, I would, but I just can't. And at this point in time, they were in AA and they must have turned me on to Overs Anonymous. So I went to my first meeting when I was 17. And um, at the first meeting, um, this man got up and said he lost 100 pounds. And I believed him. It wasn't like, you know, the back of a comic book where they had the before and after the Mr. Atlas picture, where it's like, you know, obviously he was sucking it in and, you know, like it, I believed this man that he had lost 100 pounds. He was keeping it off. And he, he gave me that thing that, that I think is very important for compulsive readers to have, especially someone who walks into OA, is that we offer hope. And he offered me the hope that I didn't have to live the rest of my life be, um, the way I was. Because one, one of the conscious thought I had before I came to OA, when I was 17 years old, is I was going to graduate from college, graduate from high school. And I felt like I had just wasted four years of high school. And I wasted two years of junior high because I was fat. I was going to go off to college and I was going to waste four years of college because I was fat. I'm going to waste the rest of my life because I'm fat. And that to me is compulsory thinking, right? That, that's because my, my life is not wasted based upon my body size. Now there might be certain physical limitations because of my body size, but that my life is not wasted. But my, my concept was, I waste, I'm going to waste my life. So my first way meeting when you say lost the weight, I'm like, oh my God, I, I don't have to, I can, I can do, I can don't have to be like this. So um, you offered the, I took, there was a gray sheet of paper with a food plan on it at the time. Um, this was 1973. Um, and so if you're doing the math, I'm 66 years, 66, 66. So, you know, um, Anyway, I came in, uh, and so it was like, so I took the gray sheet of paper and I worked that food plan quite well. And I lost about 125, 150 pounds in about six months. Um, and it was because I'm a 17 year old boy, uh, went off during my job between high school and, and college was working on a shipping loading dock, lifting mag rims, you know, metal rims. So I'm eating two eggs and an orange for breakfast and I'm lifting mag rims all day long you know, I'm doing major physical exercise, I'm burning calories. And, you know, it's that thing, like when we burn calories, if we, if we burn more calories than we consume, we lose weight. If we consume more calories than we need, we store it as fat, you know? And I always say, it's like, I don't know, I've yet to meet a composer who really likes that formula, 
who wants to be special and different that goes like, oh yeah, I can eat whatever I want. I don't seem to gain a ga- an ounce of weight, right? But that's not, that's probably not our experience in Overeaters Anonymous. I mean, we have it either or we can eat a hell of a lot and gain, maybe gain a few pounds, but anyway. But so you, you uh, talked about the steps. They were from my sick alcoholic parents. So I didn't need the steps. Um, also, I'm a 17 year old boy. So I think kind of like, I know if a teenager come in and get Overeaters Anonymous, I, I mean, it's, I think it's amazing because I mean, it was, I mean, especially for, I was, a, I mean, I was a teenage boy that was, I was a good kid. And I just, I mean, literally I would come home from school and I would, um, I would, uh, you know, clean the house, hoping that would make my parents would, would be, would, but some of my parents from drinking and fighting because they were alcoholics, they were raging alcoholics and they were fights. I mean, knockdown, drag out fights, um, you know, and I told my mother and my stepfather, you know, physical fights. Um, and so it, it was, um, I forgot where I'm going with this, but anyway, so, oh, was, so I, I was just this good kid. I think if I can just do the dishes and maybe be good. So it's like for me to come in and go like, oh, now you got to make an inventory and do all this stuff. It was kind of like, ah, you know, um, also then you also talked about God and I was, I was religious as a, as a kid. Um, or at least I went to Sunday school like two, three years in a row and, you know, didn't cuss because that was a, I was a good kid. And I used to pray to God because God was all powerful, omnipotent. That's the, oh, I got 10 minutes. Wow. Well, we're, kind, we're kind of, it's Pushing. shorter. It's shorter. Sure, it's, because, it's, right. And I, I can talk more next hour. Yeah. Thank you, Seppi. So <laughs> anyway, uh, the, the, the bottom line. Easy is, there, Tiger. <laughs> Easy there. Uh, so I, I mean, I, I didn't take, I didn't, I couldn't work the step. I, I couldn't work the steps. Also, I couldn't do a four step because I had a deep dark secret. I couldn't tell them sold my deep dark secret. Um, and so I couldn't do a fourth and fifth. And, but, and I prayed to God, I said, cause God was all powerful. I used to pray to God, God, please. When I, when I uh, have my parents stop drinking and fighting and God, please, when I wake up, let me be thin. And they, my parents kept drinking and fighting and I was wake up the same way that I went to bed as, and I got the deal that the, for the horrible person I was because my deep dark secret, God was punishing me with, with this family. And that was, my, that was my, my just reward that I didn't deserve anything better than the treatment I was getting. Um, and which kind of carries me throughout life, right? I don't, I don't deserve anything better than the treatment I'm getting. Um, so I, what happened, so I, I lost the weight and then I didn't, since I didn't work the program, but worked a food plan, and we're very clear, you can work a food plan, but if you don't work a program, you're going to go back and repeat the behavior, right? You don't, if you didn't do other causes that made me seek excess food, I have to go back and seek excess food. And I did, and I got it backed up to about, I got down to like 175. Um, then I got back up to about um, 250. Um, once again, bragging about how I've lost weight and I can lose weight anytime I want as I'm stuffing my face, I can, I lose, I've lost weight. Um, and so what happened is I, I dealt with that deep dark secret and I came out of the closet. So uh, um, I, I acknowledged the fact that I was gay. I knew from a very early age I was, um, but I acknowledged it when I was, you know, I came out. And I, I like to tell the story because it's so true that before I came out, they said, Terrell, if you lose the weight, you'll get the girls. And I was like, okay. Then when I came out, they said, Terrell, if you lose the weight, you'll get the boys. I thought, okay, now we're talking. Now that's a reason to stop. 
And so I, so I, I got down to 160 pounds. Um, and the, and the reason I got down to one thing I learned in the first time I came to Overeaters Anonymous when I was 17 is you folks taught me something very important. It says, it's not the hundredth bite that puts the weight on, it's the first. And I discovered if I didn't take the first bite all day longer, I'd stay from food. And that concept about safe from food, a normal eater doesn't understand that. They don't understand when you say safe from food. As a compulsive readers, we understand what it means to be safe from food because food is not a, it's not a nourishment, it's not nutrition. It's, it's, it's a source of something. It's emotionally charged, it's triggered, whatever you want to say, call it, whatever word you want to use. So I was safe from food, so I didn't eat all day long. And I got down to 160 pounds, I maintained my weight that way. Um, what happened was, um, uh, I mean, and I always knew actually that I, I hit the first, the last house on the block when I was 17, but I, I kind of knew that, that I needed to go back to OA, but OA was full of women. It was middle-aged housewives that didn't like gays. You know, it was this, I had this whole litany. I couldn't do that restrictive food plan again. I have a life. I, you know, I'm like, I had this whole list of things, reason why OA was not right for me. But I kind of knew that's where I belonged, but I knew that I couldn't do it. So I couldn't, so I couldn't go back to it because it wasn't, well, um, food had another, had another um, idea. And what happened was I was main, like I said, I maintained my weight at 160 pounds on what I call the donut diet, where I had anything, anything all day long, except nine or 10 donuts um, at two o'clock in the morning as I driving home from the discotheque. And I would, um, and, and so I, I was getting fitted for, for contact lenses and the doctor asked me, um, he, could, he couldn't get my prescription for several visits. And this was back in the day when you, you got your, you get your prescription, you would come back and cut like a week or two later and they'd have the contact lens waiting for you. It's not like today where you literally go like, well, try this one, we'll try this one. And so he couldn't get my prescription right. And that's when he said, Terrell, is there a history of hypoglycemia or diabetes in your family? And I said, yes. Um, my grandmother died from them taking body parts from her diabetes, you know, um, literally, I mean, they took, they took toes and they took, they took legs because of her diabetes. Um, she was eating hard candies while they're taking her body parts. So I don't know if she was a compulsive eater or not, but if you're, if you're eating hard candy in the hospital bed, when they're taking your body parts, you might have an issue with food, but I can't say she's a compulsive eater because only she could have said that and she's dead now. Um, and so, so he said, Terrell, are you eating sugar? And as a compulsory, when you get asked that question, you know, the only thing you do is, which is you lie. And you, I said a little because nine or 10 donuts is not a lot of sugar. A three pound box of C's candy, that's a lot of sugar because that's when I started doing my chemistry work where I got to get the right combination of protein and sugar. So I've got to get, I'm trying to keep the binge going. So I'm eating more, more um, protein. I'm drinking a glass of milk so I can eat more sugar. I don't know if you've ever done that, done your own chemistry work where you're trying to keep the binge going because you're not done with the binge or is the binge not done with you? We don't know yet, but I'm, all I know is I'm still not done and my body says you're done, but I'm not done because I'm still got the hole in my soul. I'm trying to fill with food and there's not enough food to ever fill that hole in my soul, but I'm going to keep trying to fill my hole, that hole. Um, so anyway, he said, Terrell, if you don't be stopping eating sugar, be blind within a year. And um, I then went to Europe and put on 30 pounds in six weeks. Um, and it was, believe me, it was not our French cut green beans. 
that I put on 30 pounds in six weeks. And you got to remember, I'm traveling through Europe. So I'm walking. I'm not sitting in front of a TV with the curtains drawn. I am moving and I'm putting on basically almost a pound a day. And, and I can remember thinking, while I'm binging, I can still see. When things start to go gray, that's when I'll stop. And that's insanity. That's insanity. And what happened is I came back to Los Angeles um, after gaining that weight. And I, um, I called my, my sister who was in program and I said, sis, I need to dry out. There was no eating disorder units then. And, uh, and, she, and she said, uh, I've got company. I, wasn't, I wanted to come over and stay at her place so I could kick sugar. And she said, uh, I have company, but I'll take it a meeting on, 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 on Sunday. I knew what I knew what I had to do because I was at my my uh, stepfather's. Hit the big book. I got out the big book and I started reading the big book. And then on Sunday I went to my first OA meeting and I was um, this man got up and spoke and he was a moderate miller, and which blew that thing about you know I can't do the restrictive food plan. Blew the thing about it's only full of women and housewives. And I found out there was a meeting every night at the Gay and Lesbian Community Service Center. So the fact that the, the OA didn't like gays was another reason that was blown out the window. And we all had these reasons, reason why OA is not right for us. And every one of mine was, was wrong. And that's, that, that's my thinking that made me, oh my, wasn't right for me. Um, so so Tara, we're OA. at two o'clock. So it's kind of time to take a little bit of a break or pretty soon. I'll wrap up about us... two minutes. Then we'll, we'll take a break then. Perfect. So if everyone's trying to go to the bathroom in two minutes, you'll get a bathroom break. Um, Cause I will finish up with, I, uh, I went to meetings and I, I literally was having, um, got back, lost the weight, got a sponsor, was sponsoring. And then after about three months of being back with, with uh, like a normal body size, I went to my sponsor and said, you know, Paul, I'm sick and tired of going to this room full of fat ass people talking about their problems. I'm sick and tired of being told what I can and when I cannot eat. On a Friday night, I went out to for the boys in Palm Springs. And we're sitting in some damn meeting at Cedar sinai Hospital. And uh, he said, and I, I was done. And he said, Terrell, remember, you're leaving us. We're not leaving you. If you ever want to come back, we'll be here. And so I think that's a great time for me to stop, to say, if you want to come back, we'll be here. So we're going to take, I guess, a five-minute break for bathroom is there now something that trish do you something you say is there something now no theodora you can go ahead and stop recording uh and then let's try we are self-supporting through our own contributions our oi rise expenses are a zoom meeting subscription and the cost of the oa rise website that includes the cost of extra storage so we can upload the OA Rise speakers or recordings for you. And contributions in excess of our meeting expenses goes directly to the OA.org World Service website, um, World Service Office to help carry the message to the other compulsive eaters. Um, a suggested donation of $3 will allow this meeting to continue. And contributions can be made via PayPal to our email address, info at oarise.org, or they can be made directly on our website. Um, and you'll see the contribute button 
right on the screen here. Simply open up the oarise.org website and click on the contribute button, uh, which can be found on the home screen. Both of these autumn. Um, okay, so we are also putting this information in chat. And we will take that pause now and pass the virtual seventh tradition basket. So hey, Jan Janice, while they're while we're uh, get pause for the seventh tradition basket, can we scroll down the OA Rise website? Because there's in addition to opportunities to contribute financially, we have the upcoming meetings, and then we have um, past meetings, and then of course we have service opportunities to be a speaker or to be a helper. Um, and really, this is a vibrant organization with lots of helpers, and we could always use more helpers. Um, by being a co-host, we can teach you how if you don't yet know. And we're really kind of a fun group of people to hang out with on a Sunday afternoon. Yep. <laughs> I, I also like... My, my name is Audrey. I'm a food addict. I just wanted to let others know depending upon what device you are on. This is my iPad, the orange highlight for contribute. You can't see it, but it is really there. I'm just trying to make it large. Hang on a second. It is a known issue, obviously. Yeah. And we do have uh, our webmaster working on being able to fix it. But for now, it is still there. It's just in black print, so you can't see yeah. it. So if I was to click on that, it's going to come up because I made it bigger. There we go. It will take you to this page. There is a there is a square on that page. It's just very difficult to see. Awesome. That's what it looks like. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we're going to turn this back over to Terrell and Seppi. Carol, are you going first this time? Yes, I'm going first this time. How'd you know? How long are you going to speak for, Terrell? I don't know. Uh, I guess when I get done speaking, then Seppi will kick in after that. So. All right. Um, there she, she might speak up when I'm like, okay, you've gapped enough. Um, so, so I will kind of finish off my story a little bit. And this also will talk about how um, it was also the top the topic that I was going to talk about on the second one, which is the um, stinking thinking. Um, replacing stinking thinking with, with, I don't know, God thoughts or whatever you want to call it, program talk, um, positive thinking, whatever. Um, so anyway, so I finished up by going like, okay, so I was, I was done. I mean, I went to my sponsor and said, you know, I'm done with Oregonomics. I, I I don't want to be a member of Oregonomics, and I'm very clear about that. That this is that I don't want to be a compulsive reader. I have never been one of my aspirations. Has never been one of my desires. Um, but I've been told many a times by by uh, sponsors and by other people that I don't come to OA for social reasons. I don't come to OA for, I guess, fun times, I come here to save my ass. And so, so when, um, so when my sponsor said, you know, like, uh, said, well, if you ever want to come back, we'll be here. I, I was like, you know, I was done. I mean, literally, if I had the forethought, I would have said, here's my big book. I don't need it anymore. You got, you know, you can take it. And I remember driving back 
to, from my sponsor going, okay, God, because I had a spiritual experience. I, I was walking through the park after a meeting um, and it was funny because it was on a 12 step. It was a, it was a step stand. It was on the 12 step. And I'm going like, I'm new. I don't, what am I doing the 12 step for? I need a, a meeting on the first step. And I, um, as I was walking through the park back to my car after, from the meeting house, which is like in the middle of the park, I heard the smallest little voice come over me and said, Terrell, you're going to be okay. And I love you. And you have as much right to be here as that tree. And I felt, I really felt for like the first time I was going to be okay. And it, I, I always had this concept that any second now, any one of you could snatch my breath away. Like you could, that I gave so much power to, to people that it was um, that literally like, if you just gave me the wrong look, I would, I would crater. I was like, I was so fragile and so delicate because I had no, self-esteem I had and no sense of security I mean I I can say like well I mean if I would go to school like an elementary school and be picked on and, and like you know like I said Terrell the barrel and made fun of and you know let's say talk about gym class or we're in corduroys where you know the, you rub the crotch out you can't you can't you gotta keep your legs crossed because you know all that stuff and then I would come home and I had these alcoholic parents who were drink, drinking and fighting and so forth. So there was never any place that I felt secure or safe. And so I literally, you know, that's why I one of the reasons I retreated food because it felt safe. Um, <clears throat> so I, I, um, I know I went off on that tangent, but I was, so I, uh, oh, so I, when I had that spiritual experience, I'm like, oh my God, I, I, like, I, have a, I have a right to be here. That was a novel concept. Like it's okay for me to take up this space, and um, so so anyway. So I had the spiritual experience, and I remember driving back from my sponsor, going like, "Okay, God, you and me, we're going to stay abstinent. We're going to help these people. Hell with OA. I don't need them. I'm going to go. You know, I've got you, God, now, and I'm. You know, you're going to you're going to we're going to have a good time. We're going to go. We're going to eat what I want when I want. Like you know, and spent the entire. 30 it was about 30 minute drive from my from my sponsor's house to my house talking to god the entire time just telling god exactly what was going to happen you know and i've learned that by the best thing i can do with my higher power is to shut up and just listen and i don't need to say a word because if god already knows right it's like it's like i don't have to say like okay like you know um I give these daily mantras to, to Seppi's one of them receives them now. And it, I don't put in there, God help me do something. It's God helps me do something because it's, it's a present tense. It's not like I have to beseech God to help me be abstinent. God helps me be abstinent. God doesn't help me, you know, deal with the situation. God helps me. I don't have to beseech or ask God because it, to me, that's like, it's an accepted thing that God's going to help, right? It's, it's an accepted thing that God's going to help me if it's if for the greater good, right? I, it's not like God help me eat whatever I want, whenever I want, and not get an ounce of weight and, to, and God help me, you know, whatever. No, it's like, but if it's towards the benefit of all, the greater good for all, then it's like I don't have to worry about asking God. Anyway, so what happened was, because I'll, I'll, I'll finish it up, uh, that was, it was a, I wound up, 
on January 5th, 1979, I, I broke my abstinence and it was on two pieces of toast. And that was my last binge, two pieces of toast. Um, and when I ate the toast, because my absence has always been no sugar, no flour, always has been. And I, I mean, and in the beginning, it was uh, uh, no sugar, no flour. It was kind of like a box. And someone said, your absence is like a box, Gerald. It's like, it was three meals a day, nothing between, no flour and no sugar. And um, after about 18 years of abstinence, I started taking medicine for my, H I have HIV, uh, have HIV and I started taking HIV medicine and it was tearing up my gut so badly that I couldn't eat. And so I was, I went to my sponsor and said, you know, I'm, uh, when I can eat, I'll eat when I, I like, I just, I can't, if I can get, you know, if I can eat it, then I'll eat it now. And so she was completely fine with that. So I, I dropped that three meal a day, um, um, and nothing in between, um, which was kind of weird in the beginning. Cause it's like, Oh my God, I can eat anything I want now or whenever I want. It was like, and it was like a little craziness, you know, I mean, we, we, in LA, we'd say, you know, you know, my, I mean, it, you know, this, my confines of an abstinence was three meals and anything between no sugar, no flour, but I could eat a jungle and call it abstinent, right? I, I, I guess here in LA, we kind of maybe have a little bit more moderate meal or something like that. We're, we're not so strict. There was this, I went to this, uh, I led this retreat and this woman was there for 18 years, had 18 years of weighted measured abstinence. And it, it made me feel less than because I didn't have weighted, because I'm a closet um, grace sheeter or you know like a uh, um, um, how do I can say you know like strict food plan weight and measure I'm a, I'm a kind of that's what I aspire to be because I think that would make me feel okay and that'd make me perfect and that'd be and then I'd be king of OA or something like that but that was the um, so I, I literally was like um, I had to call someone and said you know I feel less than now I have 20 something years of absence I feel less than because I'm not weighing and measuring my food. And, and uh, I, the woman laughed at me and said, you're, you're crazy. You know, you work a damn good program. Like, what are you talking about? But I didn't feel good enough. Um, and that's a stinking thinking, right? My program's not good enough and you're working a better program. And, and uh, I went to the woman afterwards and said, you know, is it really this one green bean too many? And she said, that's not the green bean. It's the commitment you broke, right? You broke a commitment. And then, and, and I've learned, I know about commitments because a sponsor once gave me the, an inventory to write. I was complaining about to her about some guy that I was dating and how he wasn't doing it right. Cause you know, every guy I've ever dated never did it right. They never did it perfectly. So I had to, you know, I would get a resentment, you know which I read the other day, which was, uh, uh, expectations of premeditated resentment and I love I love that that was like oh yeah so I so I was talking to her about this this kindergarten teacher who was my sponsor who was like 20 years older than me about some guy I was dating and she told me right on the seven deadly sins and I'm going like what the like what means seven deadly sins that, that's didn't you hear what I was talking to you about? I'm talking about some guy I'm dating who's not doing it right. And she, you want me right on the seven deadly sins? So I was like, Ugh. and you know, that question back and forth in your mind, do you work it? Do you not work it? Do you, when you, am I going to write it? And so finally that thought occurred to me, like, you know, if I, if I don't write this, if I don't write this inventory, which I made the commitment, I was going to write the inventory. Well, which commitment do I stop breaking? And then I realized that there would never, like, then I saw a direct link 
to this, to me breaking this commitment to writing this inventory, to me breaking my abstinence. It was a direct link because you never know like, okay, well this commitment I can, I'll break, but this one I won't. This one I'll break, but this, there's not this scattershot. It's kind of like with food, food was, food never was a, was a surgical strike, right? When I ate, it took everything away from me. It didn't, it wasn't like, well, let me just take the sad feelings away with food. No, it took the sad and the, and the, and the good times. It took away it all. It, it robbed me of everything. It never, never was like, well, I'll just eat away the pain of loneliness, but then I'll feel, have the wonderful joy of feeling camaraderie with, the fr with friends that I, that I like. No, it, it robbed me of everything. Um, so anyway, I, I went to my, um, so when I ate those two pieces of toast, I, I, I saw the donut stand, I was gonna get my donuts because that's what I eat. I eat donuts. I'm, I'm a donut junkie because it's sugar and flour mixed together. And sugar is an upper for me and flour is lethargic for me. And in, in, in drug addict terms, it's called a speedball where you mix heroin, you mix uh, an upper uh, amphetamine together. It's a speedball. And when I first heard that concept, I was going like, that's crazy. Why would you do that to this addict who told me about this? And I, he said, because it leveled me out. It didn't get me too high. It didn't get me too low. And that's what donuts do for me. They don't get me too amped up from the sugar. They don't get me too low from, from, the, uh, from the flour. And so when I ate those donuts, when I, when I saw ate those to the toast, I went like, I, I said, I started, got scared. And I said, God, please, I cannot do it one more time. God, please, I cannot do this one more time. Please help me. And on January 6, 1979, I woke up in absent ever since. And I like to make the comment that Jimmy Carter was president when I got absent. So that, that shows you how long ago it was. Um, and what I was talking about when I can't do it one more time, it had nothing to do with weight because I maintained my weight at 160 pounds on my donut diet. It had everything to do with the mental obsession, the craziness that comes with eating and binging. You know that I call it the little yap dog that's just like, you know, like nips at your heels and I go bop, 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 bop. And for me, my mind, when I'm not abstinent, is you worthless piece of shit, you piece of shit, what's wrong with you? Why don't you move your finger that way? You shouldn't move your finger like, what's wrong with you? Like, oh my God, look at them. They're, they're, like, oh my God, they're looking at you. No, no, look, wait, wait, why don't they look at me? Like, I mean, that, that relentless, relentless thought process that goes with every, everything. I literally had to have three excuses for every action I did. Because if I said like, I mean, I would like when that, before I came to program, when I was weighing at like 160 pounds doing my donut diet, I was standing in the corner of a dark, dark discotheque being afraid to move my little finger because I knew that someone walked up. If I moved my little finger, someone would walk up to me and say, look at you, fat boy, you're too fat and you're too ugly to be here. Like, I just saw the way you moved your little finger, go home. And that's, that's the compulsive reader that I am that I'm so self-obsessed and so self-centered that I'm afraid to move my little finger in a dark discotheque because I can't do anything right. Because everything I'm, I come from this point of, of and we talk, we joke about how addicts, compulsive readers, we have to do 125% just to feel like we're doing 90, right? I, my sponsor once to me, she said, Terrell, you have to be selfish. I'm going like, no, I can't be selfish. You know, what, what are you talking about? She said, Terrell, for you to be selfish is anyone else just being standing up for themselves. 
And that was kind of weird, crazy, but I understand what she means now. I mean, being selfish, there is a difference between selfish in a, an unhealthy way and a healthy way. You know, it's so funny because in this program, we can talk about, we can say one thing and then the other thing is like, but they're the exact same thing. But we, we learn in this program is moderation, right? We have to learn moderation because we are black and white. That's that stinking thinking, right? The stinking thinking says it's either A or X. There's nothing in between. There's no gray. I, I once went to uh, therapy um, to, because I, I, I've been single pretty much my entire life. And I, I mean, either I can, and for many years, it was a, a source of, um, um, of pain, emotional turmoil in my life. Um, and it was literally like, and I, my, my thing is always, I was like, either I'm, I'm too fat or too ugly to get a guy. I mean, that's been my, that's, that's my go-to. That's one of my big guns. We all have big guns that we use to, to beat ourselves up. My big gun is I'm too fat and I'm too ugly to get a guy. And I haven't changed much and I'm not too fat and I'm not too ugly. And now I can use, well, I'm too old to get a guy, right? Because that's another one I've, I've got. I've worked through the too fat and too ugly. But I haven't worked through the too old. So I'm working through that. So it's like one of those things where um, I went to this, I went to, I went to therapy and I said to my therapist, I think I'm here because either I'm too healthy to, for, to be in a relationship or I'm too sick to be in a relationship. And he said, well, why does it have to be one or the other? Why can't we just go in the gray zone? And that's where we addicts come from. And I mean, I use the word addict because I, I, I'm a compulsive overeater, right? I, I don't, I have this thing about alcoholic food. Here's comes my opinion. An alcoholic food is like, it says, I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm addicted to food, right? And I have an addiction to foods. For me to say alcoholic food is like, well, like, well alcoholism is more severe and more worse. So that's my alcoholic food. No, my addictive food, my trigger food, what I'm going to call it, red light food. When I... I can't eat those things. I can't eat a donut. If I eat a donut, it's going to, it's going to set up a trick. It's going to set up a, a craving for me. And the doctor's opinion, it's very clear. That says I can obsess about food all day long. I can think about, oh my God. And lately I've been having some food dreams. And it's kind of weird after 30, you know, 40 something years of absence, I'm having food dreams. And the other day I was going like, wait, did I eat red velvet cake? I don't, wait. Or did I, did I dream about it? Did I eat red Like I haven't even had red velvet cake, but it's like, it's kind of weird after all these years, it's kind of coming up. Um, and so that's, that to me, that's um, where, I forgot where I was going with that. I got from red velvet. So by the way, I, I like to say this because I'm making it very clear. If me talking about specific foods makes you want to go eat it, you're in the right place. And if you leave here and go get a red velvet cake or a donut and blame me, no, I can't do that. I'm going to, I'm going to blow that right up because the reason why you chose, to, you chose to go get the food because you used me as an excuse to go get food. We can, we can use, use everything as an excuse to go get food. Um, so I've learned that in, in this program, I've had to go into the, stay in the gray area. And it's kind of like, and that's actually kind of, you know, we, I mean, it's, uh, we can go through the very tragic, hard to hard times, a lot of times without turning to food. But the, the thing that makes me want to eat the most has made me eat, want to eat the most is when I call a guy for a date 
And I've left a message, a voicemail, waiting for him to return the phone call. That will make me want to eat more than, than my grandmother's death. That will make me want to eat more than anything else because that's where I become vulnerable. It's a small stuff. The big stuff we can go like, oh yes, I, I, I can label it. The small stuff that makes is what we call them piss ants. It's what makes us want to eat. And that as compulsors, that's what we do is we go, we think that's going to be the solution. We think that food's going to, fit to be the solution and we forget. We use food as a symptom to solve the problem. And the problem was our thinking. And we, we, we have to change our thinking. And that's what I love about, we have to have a psychic change. We have to change our thoughts. I had to change. I, I mean, if I look at the thoughts of the, the, what I learned as a child, which was, you know, if you want something done right, do it yourself. I don't care whether you're a garbage, if they're garbage man, as long as you're the best garbage man, right? I mean, that's, that's like, I mean, I guess maybe for some people that's a good thing, but for me, that was ammunition to use against me. Like, do you, you know, the devil gets the hind, hind part, right? You gotta have backbone, you gotta have backbone. Stuff like that is what I can use against me. In program, I can either use the steps as a whipping stick, or as a measuring stick. And today I choose to use the steps as a measuring stick because I am not perfect. And one thing that I've learned is that my program or my absence, my higher power will kill you. And your absence and your higher power will kill me because we have to find our own absence, our own higher power. And, but one thing we all have in common is that thinking. Right, and that's the difference between between OA and other diet clubs. If it was OA, if it was just all about program, if it was just about food plan, we could give you a food plan. Go here's your food plan, and call come back next week, and we'll give you more food, or we'll do something like that. And you go like, yeah, but I ate all my food that you gave me in two days. Well, you weren't supposed to eat it in two days. It was supposed to last you a week. It didn't last me a week. I ate all the food you gave me in two days. Well, why'd you eat all the food in two days? That's more calories than you're supposed to need because I needed to eat this food in two days, right? That's the compulsion you're thinking. I need it. When I was binging my way through Europe, it wasn't like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm binging my way through Europe. I just need another bite of chocolate. I just need another bite of chocolate to deal with all the emotions and feelings I had for being alone in Europe, traveling alone in Europe. It wasn't like, I'm gonna binge my way through Europe. I had no plan to binge my way through Europe. I just had to plan to eat one more bite of chocolate or maybe another chocolate bar. And that chocolate bar led to another chocolate bar, which led to another chocolate bar, which led to me willing to lose my eyesight for chocolate. And that's, that's where this program goes. And that's the reason why I love this program. I don't wanna be a member. I do not wanna be an Overeaters Anonymous. But I have to be because one thing Overeaters Anonymous has done is it's changed my thinking. It's changed my thought processes so that I don't think negative. I don't try to be the victim in the situation. One of the thought processes I had when I first came in was I could not shine or excel because if I shined and excel, then I let you folks off the hook for the horrible childhood I had for the horrible treatment, 
that I'd be like, see, you, you could go like, see, your life wasn't so bad, Terrell. Look, you got a great life. You didn't have a bad childhood, you know? I had to make sure that you understood how horrible my life was. And if you understood that, then I could become the victim. And this program has taught me like, no, no, you don't get to play that. You get to shine and excel and be a fabulous man that you are. And that's because you work a program. And because I work, I meditate because I do this stuff. And it's, you know, for me to say, I kind of like me, I'm okay, good, I'm good. That's, that's a psychic change. That's a shift in my thinking. And one of the things I love about long-term absence for me, the brain goes quiet, that I can sit by myself and not have to do a lot of thinking about me, about what, what if I, the world was different, if only things would change, if only this was different, then I could become. You know, I just get to be with a quiet brain. No, Seppi, I think it's your turn. Ah, crap. Okay. <laughs> he just turned. Okay. Well, yeah, he turned it over at, at the exact right. Oh. Well, I'm kind of like the opposite of tarot in one way. Seppi? Yes, dear. I don't, I, I don't know where you go. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I had dropped you. Good Lord. It's a good thing I'm in technology. I'm looking for the session. I'm in technology and I can't find the goddamn thing. Thank you, Terrell. When you said it, I realized you were in the background. Um, I am very similar. To, I, I want to talk about stinking thinking and I want to talk about another thing that Terrell said. So I'm very different than Terrell. Long term, don't have a quiet head absolutely do not have a quiet head. And I just said it, you know, in the previous segment. Don't know if I ever will. Uh, fortunately, I know what I have to do to have a psychic. I know what I have to do on a given day to have the psychic change he talked about. I wish I had the calm and quiet and the, the quiet head that he has. Don't you know, many times I share stuff with him and he goes, he just kind of looks at me, goes, honey, what goes on in that little mind of yours? Don't need to know. It just is. But that's the beauty of OA. There are different flavors of us. There's him, there's me, there are 50 other things in between us. But he and I had actually talked about stinking thinking and it is very pervasive. Um, the phrase cunning, baffling, and powerful. Um, pretty much sums up everything about stinking thinking because the food the whatever my food du jour is doesn't jump down my throat it's not sitting there hiding and when i'm unprotected to just kind of say aha here we go i'm gonna come in it's the fact that the same brain that i use to be of service to my boss to be of service to my sponsees 
to be of service to my employer, my cousins, everything. The same brain manages to take the facts in my life and come up with a phenomenally inaccurate assessment of reality and interpretation. And I haven't developed the ability to think accurately when it comes to me yet. I just know where to go to. I just know that, oh, here I go again. This is, this is my brain at its best. This is what it does with these things and presents it to me as fact. So what do I need to do? Um, I need to write it down. I need to talk to a sponsor. I need to talk to a best friend to say, this is what happens. This is how I feel. This is what it affects. And they say, okay, honey, I hear ego again. I'm like, oh yeah, that's what it is. Okay, honey, I hear not acceptance again. Oh yeah, that's what it is. Okay, honey, I hear pride again. That's what it is. Um, I have spent a much greater portion of my life in abstinence than not. But the main drivers are still very much fear of losing what I have or fear of not getting what I want. In one area, I am 1000% like Terrell because when I think about it, I don't have to tell God. If I get quiet enough to think about it, I don't have to tell God what it is that I'm afraid of losing or what it is that I'm afraid of not getting. Because quite frankly, what has been given to me in these 35 years far exceeds anything I could have written for myself in some phenomenally abstract ways that I never saw coming. I think Terrell and I kind of want to talk about miracles at the, you know, the last hour, some of the tangible things that are different in our lives. But um, I do want to say that I'm of the variety who's a corkscrew thinking, you know, wound up tight, um, have to work these damn steps all the time with as much vigor as possible. And, um, I'm, and I still have a seat in a way next to somebody who has this kind of approach to the program. Thinking, thinking, um, Terrell and um, we, had a, we had a beloved sponsor uh, this older lady, the school teacher that he talks about. And between Terrell and Natalie, they they've coined the phrase, when I would start talking, they just look at me lovingly and say, oh honey, I think sepiitis is hitting again. Sepiitis was just a, a short word for sepi being obsessed with fear du jour thinking, thinking du jour. I would, you know, I can't call it anything else because I've never been obsessively obsessed with anything positive. It has, I've, it's been obsessively uh, with things that are negative. When I look at my um, 35 years, the first decade of my abstinence, every thought, every moment was on weight. So um, I would call Terrell and say, my size zero is a bit tight. So then the joke became, okay, is it a tight size zero or a loose size zero? The second decade was all about 
uh, hypochondria. I think I had my first mammogram at 35 because I literally had a pimple. Um, and I've had neurological exams. I have spent thousands of dollars. And I had to do, you know, this is thinking, thinking. I had to say, why do I go to that? I did step six. Remarkably, I realized every that this is this is how my brain works and where food comes in. Every time I convince myself this is the time I'm going to die of a unique disease, go to the doctor, pay a few hundred dollars, get a clean bill of health, call Terrell, I'm going to live. Guess what? I'm going to live is then followed by a large meal that is within my abstinence because I just got a pass. God just gave me extra years to live. So there's a one-to-one -one relationship with between my fears and food. I make up an excuse to overeat. That's how my brain works. That was the second decade of abstinence. Third decade of abstinence, I obsessed about my husband. First, it was whether he's drinking or not drinking. And then it was whether he's making money or is not making money. Five years into this is now in this decade, I'm obsessing about if I'm making enough money or not. And when I when I look at it and say, good Lord, in 35 years, was there not one year that I just chilled? And there isn't because Terrell has heard from me every week of those 35 years a pattern emerges and it is obsessive thinking. It is thinking, thinking. It is anything that will keep me away from God. And it's so funny. It's such a cruel joke by God that the only way I can stop this is to lose myself in somebody else. Isn't this funny? The way our program works, the only way you get a reprieve Terrell said that, you know, if he binges, he gets a ring, ring, ring. I have that ring, ring, ring while abstinence. I'm in a conversation with my boss and I'm going, oh my God, look, look at my neck. Look at my bones. I don't see them anymore. What happened? And I have to say, at this precise moment, you're getting paid a shit ton of money to be of service to your boss focus or at this precise moment or some, sometimes honestly I call my sponsees I call people because I want to just I know the only thing that keeps me from coming up with a wrong assessment about the facts of my life which is generated by my sticking thinking is to lose myself in someone else and I used to think, um, what a cruel joke by God. And now I'm like, who the hell cares? If I can get reprieve from this head and be quiet. You know, I really genuinely think about this as a disease. There are so many people in my life who have diseases in my personal life where like my, you know, sisters, cousins, loved ones, they would give their right arm to have a proven solution for their disease. If I have to pray in the morning, if I have to write to God, if I have to accept you know, six emails or six calls, if I have to 
writes my sponsor today, I am not going to eat this and open the refrigerator 50 times, look at it and not eat it. If I have to answer calls when I don't want to, when I'm in the middle of watching a cop show that I love, these are very, very, very small prices to pay when I compare myself to my loved one who has cancer, or I compare myself to another loved one who's got, who's, who's developed some phenomenally weird disease that the doctors can't figure out what it is, and certainly it's impacting her life. When I when I realized how lucky I am to have a um, chronic disease and a solution for said chronic disease, it changes everything. So many things move from I have to, to I get to. And um, I genuinely am passionate about the fact that this thing will kill me. I've never, I was never overweight enough of an, due to, you know, I wasn't gonna die from an organ failing or, you know, something shutting down or diabetes or anything, never like that. But I damn near thought of killing myself because I could not stand looking at myself in the mirror. You know, Terrell says that he, he would only look at himself like this and say, um, I couldn't, I just brushed my teeth and not even look in the mirror at all, just could not maintain eye contact. This is a cunning, baffling and powerful disease. I read a lot of books by other a well-known AA speakers. I do everything I have to do to come at it from every angle because I take it extremely <clears throat> seriously. I've been the same size. I still wear the same clothes. I usually throw my clothes away because they're old or they're age inappropriate anymore. Um, but if I could take a pill and eat you know, 7,000 calories and not gain weight, I still would need this. This is the only place my head gets quiet. Um, I'm not, I, I don't get there alone. I have to go to a number of people to get me there and take a number of actions. But I think we're phenomenally blessed to have, you know, five things. If we do them, such and such thing happens. The big book says, um, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, all sorts of wonderful things happen. Over and over, it says, if it happens for one of us, it will happen for the rest of us. I mean, it's, it's just like, a, um, it's a textbook. When I first got here, I used to not even understand it. It's just, there's so many analogies. And I read the story in the beginning, about what Bill saw on the outside of the church, didn't get that. So there's so many things that I didn't get in the language. I just didn't understand the metaphor. Now I read that goddamn thing like a frigging textbook. I take every single step, every single word, literally. And literally, it's as if it's worked for some of us, it will work for all of us. If we are something, we have to work hard. Um, and as I said already, I don't like the work. I may never like the work. My natural inclination is may always be to stay in bed and eat um, bonbons. But I am lucky enough to have examples around me of what it could be like. And then I'm like, good God, am I grateful for all of my phenomenal abundance. Good God, am I grateful that I get to call someone 
and say, <clears throat> I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm petty. In this relationship, I'm looking out for me. What about my feelings? And that person doesn't judge me. That person says, I understand that, sweetheart. That's just a symptom of being a compulsive overeater. Just like Terrell said, you know, it's so many of these things are a symptom of being compulsive overeater. I can't talk to a family member and say, I'm resentful at you because blah, blah, blah. They're like, grow up, take a chill pill. You're a 60 year old woman. What the hell do you mean you're resentful? But I, I get to say that here and get reassurance that I don't have two heads. I'm not fundamentally broken. I'm not fundamentally a bad person. As a result of all of that stuff, I don't have to have you know, two bowls of oatmeal or three bowls of oatmeal. It's a very straightforward mathematical equation for me. You do what the big book says, don't care if you want to or not. Don't care if it's half-assed or not. Don't care if it's pretty or not. Just do the goddamn thing it asks you to do. And you get reprieve. That's simple. And I don't know of too many places where you get that kind of a covenant or that kind of a guarantee. I really don't. Um, so that's my part on this. I'm not sure if we want, you know, I don't, I can't. Please tell me it's time for a break because I need a break. That's what I can say about stinking thinking. Uh, All right, we'll take a break. <laughs> okay, there you go. Trish, there you go. Thank you. All right. Theodora, go ahead and stop the recording. And we will call you back. back in. We'll have some questions and answers or questions. And maybe oh, thank the good Lord. Okay, let's do that, Terrell. Q&A. Yeah. Boom. Okay, after after okay. the break, perfect. After the break, we'll do a Q&A. Yeah. Oh, yay. Okay. Thinking. So, Seppi. Okay. Um, I didn't start meditating probably till about five years ago. So the first three decades, I didn't meditate at all. I'm just way too hyper to sit still. Um, and usually to answer the very specific question, the stinking thinking happens during the day when I'm not meditating. You know, I do the meditation first thing in the morning. I read pages 86 and 88, and, and I just say, God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? Just keep saying it. When I wander off to something during those 10 minutes, when I wander off to something negative, I'm, I usually catch myself and bring it back and say, yeah, God, what do you want me to do? That seems to be me telling you what I want you to do. What, what do you want me to do? But this, so those 10 minutes are the best of me. The stinking thinking happens in the day when all of a sudden there's a perceived disrespect to me from someone via an email or on a conference call, or, you know, why did so-and-so not call me back promptly? Or how am I going to afford this now? Or, you know, you name it. So the, for me, it's a little different. My 10 minutes are the best of my, of, of my day. And just, but just like Terrell, I would not do, go without it anymore. I wish I had started sooner. It definitely lends a level of calm to, uh, to the day but that is missing when I don't do it. But unfortunately, the character defect I need to uh, protect happens outside of that precise window for the most part. I hope I answered your question. 
Okay, any other questions? You, I, I do have a question. Actually, we have a couple of people with hands up. Uh, so okay. I'm going to ask uh, phone number ending in 4179 to unmute. So hopefully you can unmute and ask your question. It's a 
at the tour. I mean, we had bouts or there was times where she thought I was her husband and she wanted to have sex with me and all that stuff. It was, it was, it was horrific. It was absolutely horrific. And, um, what we do, this is what we do. I was told at an early age to behave like a member of Overeaters Anonymous to that, that, you know, we don't, we don't get to lie, cheat, steal, stuff like that, because that will come out in our absence. That will, that will affect who we are. So that I had to behave like a member of Overeaters Anonymous. And as a member of Overeaters Anonymous, my sponsor was sick and I had no choice but to do what I did. So it wasn't a, it wasn't like altruistic. It wasn't saintly. It wasn't anything. It was just, that's what you do, period. There was no, I don't feel altruistic about it. I don't feel special about it. It is what we do in Overs Anonymous. That's it. There's, no, there's nothing unique or special about it. It's just what we do. And if you don't feel like you can do it, you do it one second at a time. And then you cry. Next question. Carol, I have a question in chat and that is, what is uh, what does your review and practice at the end of the day look like? Sophie? Okay. Um, very abridged, unfortunately. I, I have the first part of uh, when we go to bed at night memorized in my brain. So at night, at night, actually, usually what I do is, quite frankly, I, I read the 10th step of my sponsees because I don't get to during the day. I wake up at six and I go, you know, I start working. So I read their 10th steps I'm at, of service to them. I write my own 10th step to my sponsor. Um, if I need to commit something to my sponsor for the following day, I do it the night before because I know when I wake up in the morning, I'm gonna be optimistic about my ability to deliver on something that I haven't been able to deliver without a commitment for the last three months. Somehow magically this day is gonna be different, uh, but I don't do an official, uh, you know, it, and I mean, when I do my 10th step to my sponsor, I guess to some extent, I do say, you know, this is what I did well, this is who I'm resentful at, this is, um, whether I owe an amends or not. It just doesn't happen to be exactly what the big book says that when we retire at night, I do it a lot earlier. It's more like 6 p.m. rather than when we retire at night. That's me. Um, for many years, I wrote inventories at the end of the day. Now, I don't write inventories. I'm, I might write inventory a year, one a year. Um, I, my, my daily review, I, I, a lot of it has to do with, oh, well, like it, I don't like, I mean, I, I, to me, a spiritual statement is, oh, well, like, you know, like, uh, um, 
I don't know. It's, 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 a, it's the antidote for me to go like, well, you didn't do it good enough. You didn't do wrong. You did this wrong. It's like, oh, well, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm a human being. I'm going to, I'm human. So my daily review at the end of the day is like, I go like, okay, you know, and it's, it, it's, and if I did a review or if I, I mean, I guess my view is like gratitude. Like I, I try to think being gratitude at the end of the day. So, but it's nothing formal or official. Um, I, I want to be very clear. What I do at 43 is not what I did at 43 days. It's not what I did at 43 months. I mean, I have, I mean, I'm, I'm 43. So you got to figure two thirds of my life. I've been working a 12 step program. I've been in abstinence. Two, I mean, more than two thirds of my life. So it makes a big difference, I think. Um, and other people might not. I mean, the one thing I kind of love about, about having Seppi do this with me is you get to see two people in program. I know Seppi very well. She's a lot more saner than she comes across. She's a lot more, I mean, she's like, I mean, she talks about her illness, she talks about her mental illness, her mental illness but, but I, I've seen the growth in Seppi over the past 25 years. That's just phenomenal, phenomenal. You didn't mention the juicy peach, you know. Well, there hasn't been an occasion to talk about it yet. If well, anybody so, could asks, you talk I'll about mention. the juicy peach? There's that's a question. This is the disadvantage of doing this with your brother. Okay, so um, I've actually, all kidding aside, I'll tell you a lot of things. Um, I've learned a lot. I've, I, my program has been very, very. Um, blessed because I do have a walking example. And, you know, they say that in AA, I've heard it a lot, be in the middle of the herd or some, some such thing. I never meant to be in the middle of the herd, um, you know, because of course, again, you know, I'm different. I should be different. But I happened to end up with a best friend that is a walking example of how to use this program. I can't say too much because it's his story, but he's taught me more about how someone in a 12 step behaves with integrity and does not use so many of these systems that are available to us um, outside of 12 steps. So many of the games that are available to us outside of the 12 steps in business in finances. I get to see how you don't do that when you're a man of integrity, when you're a representative of OA. Now, that's the serious part. Well, the equally serious part is that Terrell and I used to go out to dinner on Tuesdays. And now apparently we're going to lunch on Tuesdays. It's becoming pretty regular. And um, this is where, you know, I lived in West Hollywood with Terrell, very close to Terrell. And I've worked in the same company for 26 years. And I would always say to Terrell, um, you know, I, I want a boyfriend. And he would just say, honey. And then while saying that, I had just come from the gym. He had dragged me out of my little house and I would order a little salad, you know, hold the dressing and hold the nuts, hold everything. And Terrell would say to me, honey, you're not going to find a boyfriend in a gay gym. West Hollywood is a gay neighborhood. You're not going to find it in your office because it's an inappropriate thing. You have to take other steps. 
and I'd give him the middle finger. And then he'd say, and as your brother, I have to tell you that, you know, he would try to say politely that I needed to gain a little weight. You he would say, prune raisin. Um, yeah, he would say, honey, men want something that looks like a juicy peach. And I'd ask him politely, well, what the hell am I? And he'd say, you're a shriveled prune. And I'd give another middle finger. So I'm determined to finish three hours on this call without using the F word, which I'm pretty close to doing. But um, grudgingly, grudgingly, I would, you know, it was being with a friend in the program who taught me and I would just say, he would say, men don't want this. And I'm like, what the hell do you know? You're gay. And he'd say, I have eyes. So, you know, I dip the fork in the salad dressing. And then, you know, over time things change because as you age there, you know, I had to take hormones and other things that, that changed. But it was a perfect example of number one, being with a representative of this program who behaved in line with having integrity. So he had credibility in my eyes. I saw what he did when he could have bailed out of so many situations and he didn't take the easy way. So he had credibility in my eyes and he didn't give up. And he said stuff to me that were not easy to hear. My mom told me I looked like shit and I told her to go jump off a cliff. But I was willing to hear that from a fellow in this program in a way that I was not open and receptive to anyone. And it takes courage. And he said it over and over again. And just like any other instruction from a fellow 12 stepper, I was willing to try something that someone for whom I had respect was suggesting. Did not like it, but I, you know, what, what I kept saying, my entire 35 years has been about doing little things that I didn't want to do. And Terrell was 100% right. And today I eat differently. I weigh different. I have energy. Um, I have a lovely husband. I'm, I'm, you know, if, if I were to say it's because I'm a juicy peach, he would probably be offended, but probably has something to do with it, but, but, which is such a stupid, casual, uh, you know, callous comment. I didn't mean it that way. But short version, I, I've never been able to see myself straight. You know, Terrell said, I don't know if you call it body dysmorphia. When I looked at myself, you know, at one size zero was loose on me. I used to think I'm fat. Today, I look at myself one size zero fits. And I still don't like what I'm saying, what I see. But I also understand at 35, and I didn't at five, I didn't at 10, I didn't at 15, that my assessment is not accurate. So yes, is this how I feel? Yep, but it's not accurate. But the, the lesson here is being in the middle of pack with people in this program who have integrity and then following their suggestions, even if you don't want to. That's the lesson. No more questions, Cheryl. That's privileged information. <laughs> that was your one question. Thank you, Seppi and okay. Cheryl. So I have a question. How do you sure. keep your program fresh after so many years? Oh, he's got a good answer for you. <laughs> Go, Terrell. I, I've heard your answer. Uh, food. Food. 
I mean, I'm a compulsive overeater, right? So at 30, at 43 years of absence, I'm still, I mean, food still call, still works. I don't know if it would say call my name, but food still works. And so I also, um, and then I also would add to that service, service, service and service. I did hit a law where I didn't feel connected to the program as much. And I got on the board of LA Inner Group. Boy, that did I feel connected, you know? And it's kind of like, so there, that's the way I look at this is like, you know, if, if program becomes stale, it's because of me. It's not the program. It's the program, I mean, you know, I was gonna say program doesn't change much, but with the COVID it changed a lot. Obviously look at this meeting. This meeting is a, is a, is a shining example of the benefits of COVID, right? Because we have to look at, there's a benefit to everything and there's a downside to a lot of things. So, you know, the benefit is, so that's the reason why a program I think is, can stay fresh is I still can take that first abstinent bite and go click, ooh, hey, there's, there's not enough on this plate. There's just not enough on this plate. What, like, what, this salad bowl is not big enough. Like. Like, why, why, did I, why did I order the salmon? I should have ordered the pasta, right? That's what keeps program fresh. Seppi? 100%. I don't, you know, my ass is whipped if I don't, I don't have to keep it fresh. It, you know, the, the great equalizer is food. I just, you know, that everything I've been talking about, I don't have to like it, but the insanity that, that comes as I've said, my head is going rah, 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 rah. the other day I was at lunch with Terrell and I just said, I understand that if I'm mad at everyone around me, the common denominator is me, but I don't know how to get out of it. Went to an AA meeting, hurts a gentleman now 31 years and he was as nuts as I am. And he said, his wife said something that he did disagreed with. And his first reaction was that I'm gonna take you and my daughter out with a bullet. And the second reaction was that I'm gonna see what I can do to not get found out about it. And I was like, oh, I'm in a room. I'm, I'm not fundamentally broken. This is what we do. And what did he do? He wrote an inventory. So I woke up at four o'clock in the, in the morning, wrote a bunch of things I was resentful at, read it to my sponsor, was done. So life, my head, and then the fact that if I don't do that, I will have a second or a third bowl of oatmeal, which is perfectly within my abstinence is what keeps me coming back. And the phenomenal stories that I hear in these rooms of, of the things that really by rights should, I mean, this is like a big frigging soap opera. That the things that you hear that you do not get outside of these rooms, so many stories here defy conventional wisdom. It's, I, I would not, this is like friggin' dynasty or, you know, downtown Abbey. There's so many things happen that they shouldn't. They shouldn't. They defy conventional wisdom. Would not want to miss the, the ringside seat to these. My, my answer. I, awesome. Thank you. I think one thing that, that, that I mean, I've, that it, we get to laugh at our disease. Our disease is very serious. It's, I mean, it will kill us. But we get to laugh at our thinking and go like, like I mean, literally, like, it's like, there you go. There's the, like, 
there you go again. You're too fat and you're too ugly. Or like with Steffi, like, oh my God, I'm dying of cancer. I'm going to die of cancer. And she found like, and we just, I mean, one thing we did on last Tuesday, we were having lunch, we we laughed at at like the, her at her craziness. Like going like, yep, you, you know, you're coming down your shoe. And by laughing at it, I mean, that's my laughter is part of my higher power because I, when, when I laugh, it's replacing that, and that's the, oh, well, is replacing like, oh my God, oh my God. It's like, oh, well. So to me, I think, you know, one thing you just go like, right, there it is again. There, there it is again. Like, I mean, with another sponsor, you go like, yep, there it is. Nope, there it is. And just like, right? And you, and you just, if you acknowledge the disease concept, then the disease concept doesn't make it a moral issue that I think the way I think. Because if you read our literature, if you read, if you sit in meetings and hear the stories, we all think the same way. That's why I say, when you raised your hand and said you're a compulsive overeater, it means you're petty. It means you're jealous. It means you're small. It means that you, that your feelings get hurt, that your favorite saying is, what about me and my feelings? Or you go, one of your other favorite sayings is, well, if it was me, I would, you know, that, that to me is a compulsive overeater, right? That, when you say that, and then when you, I hear someone in like another compulsive overeater say something like that, you go like, yep, there it is. You're a compulsive overeater. Of course you're thinking that way. But we now have steps and tools and, and a program to change that thinking, that psychic change. And I mean, the fact that you, that Flippy, that Seppi flipped me off because she was, because I said she was a shrivel pruning, you need to get your ass off of that, off of that bicycle and get a, get become like a juicy peach with the, with the juice running down your arm, right? That, that's what you, and she was like, no, no, right? We fight that because uh, my best thinking is what brought me to Overs Anonymous right? My best thinking is what got me here. And in a way we say, oh, your best thinking got you here. Guess what? You're keeping, you can't keep that best thinking and get what you want and get what we have. you got to change that best thinking to a different way of thinking that you think is like, doesn't make sense. I mean, call it Pollyanna bullshit, but guess what? I'm happy. And isn't that what we want to be happy? I mean, isn't that why we want to be have a normal body size to be happy? Isn't that why we want to be maybe in a relationship is to be happy? Isn't that the reason why we want to be happy, to be joyous, to be free? And that's what our program promises us. Doesn't promise us like a relationship, doesn't promise us a new car, doesn't promise us a house. It says you can be joyous, happy, and free. Okay, I'll settle for that. Anyway. Thank you. And it looks like Marina has a question. So Marina, I'm going to ask you to unmute. Okay. Hi, everybody. I'm Marina, also for Eater, sugar addict. And I have been off of sugar since, um, well, lately I, I had a slip, uh, December 28th. So it's been about 30 days. And um, the question is, is I have the Q-tip syndrome and it stands for quit taking it personally. <laughs> uh, 
And, you know, it's just, I know I was this way growing up and very sensitive to other people. Okay. And just for an example, recently, maybe a couple weeks or so, I was on a meeting and I got kicked off. It says the host kicked you off. Okay. So then the next week, because these bombers, these intruders come on and I, I understood that. I felt bad, but okay. Next week it happened again. The host kicked you off. Well, I got right back on and I, and I shared a little bit, but it's just, I had, to, I had to do a 10 step about this because I took it personally. I thought there's something wrong with me. Why, why is this happening? Do you guys have ever experienced that? And what words of wisdom can you give me? Because I think I've got it licked and then it happens again. I just take things personally. I think that I can read people's minds and then I'm wrong. A lot of the time I'm wrong, but I think I know. Carolyn, you want to go first? No, you go first. Okay. Um, Marina, I don't have, I, I certainly have that, but um, certainly have that in spades. And I think Terrell already answered, you know, he said that, you know, if you're, if you're a compulsive overeater, it's about you. The whole world is revolves around you. Um, I'm a compulsive overeater. The whole world revolves around me. If anyone disconnects me, it's because me. How dare you? Um, the, and so a part of that is just accepting this is a 100% a symptom of the disease. You belong. You're in the right place. You're, you know, you're still very young in the program. And that's just you're exactly where you're supposed to be because that's a typical sim symptom. Um, six and seven, you know, after you do your steps, the first, you know, you go through one, two, three, four, once you do your inventory, I would imagine the fact that you take things personally uh, is going to be something you write about a lot because that's all step four is in AA, in the, the 12 and 12. If you look at it, you know, the examples that it brings, I'm mad at my wife because, you know, whatever, she, she likes Mr. Brown. I'm mad at my boss because he asked me to do some work. I mean, it's, I mean, the whole page is about things we take personally and we don't see that um, there may be other factors at play. Now, the second part of your comment, so that's your inventory. Out of that, you're gonna have character defects. Then you get to six and seven, which is the work you do to have those character defects removed. And this is, to me, the most humbling part of the program, because I, I cannot tell you how much I've worked on some character defects. I lose my temper. I have, you don't know how much damage I've done by losing my temper. The first, you know, two decades, I used to say, but I'm Middle Eastern, you don't understand. We're just naturally all like this. Doesn't matter. At work, I have unacceptable behavior. And I do six and seven, fundamentally a character defect it's it's up to god to remove it i do everything the damn book tells me to do about it but it is removed by god and there you know you I, i'm i'm sorry to say this it may be five years ten years never that you take things personally but you get to work on how you act what you say, how you react, regardless of what your first take is, 
Even if you feel it's done personally, okay, how do I act? What do I say to the person that I feel disconnected me? That's what it's all about, you know? You, doesn't matter the other, it's all about you and not just doing things you feel like doing. Doing, being polite and courteous when you wanna tell the other person to go screw themselves. That's the trick. Sorry, Tara. No, I, I, I was waiting for you to finish. Done. Done? Um, yeah, I want to finish without saying the F word. But it's getting <laughs> difficult. I, I mean, one of the things we say in this program is we're not responsible for our first thought, but we're responsible for our second thought, right? So the fact that you're a compulsive overeater, you're an ovaries anonymous meeting, the fact that you, you, that you think it's all about you, you got the Q-tip, uh, well, yeah. Hello. I mean, ask everyone in this room if they think they got the Q-tip. They'd probably go like, yeah. I mean, I mean, and I, I'll pass on a story because I love this. Because I mean, I this is this is where you, you have these stories and you start doing stories. You go like, oh, right, right, right. So I, I was dating this guy and or I ran into this guy actually on the street. And he reminded me that we were dating for a while. And then it was like, and then, he was, I, then I remembered him and he ghosted me, which back then wasn't a phrase, but it was like, clearly, like we were going like, we were having, doing great, I thought. But then he ghosted me and I thought, well, it's because I'm too fat or I'm too ugly or something, you know, it was all about me. And he, I, I said, you stop, wait, what happened? You stopped calling me or something like that. He says, yeah, um, I saw the white picket fence. I said, I never put up a white picket fence. He said, no, I did. And it scared me. And so he had to run away. And I'm looking at that going like, wait a second. It was all about me. The reason why he stopped dating me it was, it was because I was not worthy. And so to me, it's like, I cannot, I, I like my sponsor, Natalie, drove it into me, drove it into me. If it was me, I would have. Like if it was me, I would not have disconnected me from that meeting. If it was me, I would not. And I don't know why people do stuff. All I know is it's not my business and not you get to, and one that's going to happen, darling, is you do a fourth step and you start doing your fifth step and you start going, this is who I am. This is who I am. I want to make interest what they think because I already know, I took my own inventory. So it doesn't make interest what people think because I, if you know, if you call me something, I take my inventory and go like, yeah, that's not me. You can say it, but it's not me. So, but yes, I still take things personally and I have to go like, wait a second, it's not about me, right? So that first thought, you'll never get rid of that first thought probably. But the second thought, you go like, oh, there it is. Oop, there it is. I, yep, that's what, I got it, right? And I know that that's because I'm taking it personally and I shouldn't be taking this personally. And I've got enough stories in the past now that says it wasn't all about me, right? And then you go like, okay. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you, guys. I'm writing stuff down. <laughs> sure. <laughs> awesome. So I have another question in the chat. And that is... How has program helped you during the pandemic? Sappy? Okay. Oh God, I can't even imagine life without the, pan uh, without the program. Um, 
I'm going to tell you what the first five days of the pandemic were for me and how I used the program. The first five days were March 17th, 2020. So plus five is uh, March 22nd. Um, in that span of time, I found out we have to work from home like everyone else. Gyms are closed. I haven't talked about exercise at all, but it's plays such a huge- That's a friggin' miracle. And that's a friggin' miracle, exactly. Um, it plays such a huge part in my life as a, not just weight maintenance, but just a, a, a natural stabilizer. Gyms are closed. Excuse me, what the hell do you want me to do? Um, my boss was new to the firm. He had asked me to do an exercise for his boss, the CFO. And he didn't know what he was asking me to do because he was new to the firm. He, would, he didn't know what his boss expected of him. So he gave me incomplete instructions. I gave him what he had asked for, but it wasn't what his boss needed. So his boss was very mad at him and my boss became mad at me which was unprecedented. I'm one of those good girls that, you know, your boss, I'm always a, a teacher's pet. So I'm locked in. I can't go to the gym to, to run it out, to cycle it out, to burn it out. I know if I'm stuck at home, I usually eat more, just go get more veggies. My boss is mad at me, which is unprecedented. And by the way, my dad died in Iran. And I had to get a deliverable to my boss once we understood what his boss needed. So I was without my coping mechanism. I couldn't go to lunch with Terrell. I couldn't run and burn the calories. And I had to have meetings with my boss 7 a.m., noon, 5 p.m. for five consecutive days to build something from scratch. Um, he's apologized to me profoundly so much about it because then he understood what he had done wrong. I could not even <clears throat> mourn my dad. Couldn't drive to Orange County to be with my family to say so that we could mourn him properly. How I got through it is I called Terrell and my boss uh, and my sponsor probably five times, texted them another 10 times, half an hour at a time to say, I commit to just get through the next 30 minutes. I commit to just get through the next 30 minutes. And they would say, can you do just another 30 minutes? And I'd say, I can't. Can you do another 30 minutes? Yes, I can. Um, so I've never had such a difficult period in my abstinence that all of a sudden I'm physically locked down with my love, which is food, can't burn it, have the person who pays my salary be mad at me and I have a personal loss that I can't hug anyone. Um, I absolutely got it by through this program. And since then, um, the Zoom meetings have saved my ass. We, you know, talk about the fact, you know, I see Terrell all the time. Um, I see some other friends all the time. My commitment to the program to my exercise, to a uh, having integrity at my work, 
being of service, it has to be, it, it's been turned up. You know, the heat on it has been turned up. But as Terrell said, who would have thought that the good part of this is that I, I physically attend a lot many more meetings because I'm such a lazy ass and LA has such horrible um, traffic that being able to attend meetings from home has been a game changer for me. So the solution has ratcheted up in direct proportion to the problem. And I'm sure if I were to, to you know, do even more service, I'd, feel, I'd levitate. But you know, why would I want to levitate? Let's, let's just stay at not killing myself. True to my form, just lazy ass goodbye with the bare minimum. But um, it's exactly what he said, pros and cons. But this program app and the structure of telling people, I think I can do 30 minutes at a time, got me through the most difficult five days of my entire life. So I think one thing our literature tells us is we match calamity, we've matched serenity with calamity. And so that kind of got me through that goes like serenity. And there, I mean, there's a, for me, a couple of things that was really helpful. I mean, it, it literally was like, okay, you make outreach calls, right? You make outreach calls. Um, that was part of thing and, and develop a community, you know, that you, I mean, we have a community here in OA, I have a community of friends outside that I use that community to get me through. It wasn't like, it's not a time to be alone. It's also, I mean, I also have the benefit of um, having another virus called HIV. So I get to, I've had to live with a virus in my, pretty much my entire life. So it's kind of like, I get to understand that, what, how that works. So that was beneficial for me. Um, it's like, um, Having HIV, I got to face my death because there was there was a point in time when I didn't know if I was going to live or die, and so it made me it made me drop the human ego a little bit. It was one of those beneficial things that I won't say that I'm happy that I'm HIV positive, but the, I can I can turn the experience to good or I can turn the experience to bad, and and that's a conscious decision I have to make, right? I can I can either say that I'm going to use this this situation or this this opportunity for to grow and develop and learn or i'm going to use it to go to the dark side and i was i'm a strong believer in serendipity that um we don't know why stuff happens uh, well one thing i like to say is that um as as an atheist i i i'm a i've i'm a believer in chaos i believe this universe is very chaotic and so forth and that i have to find a way to deal with the chaos. And that's what my, that's what my program is about. My spiritual life is to find a way. I, I like to say a sign of someone's, a sign of someone's spirituality is not what happens to them. It's how they respond to what happens to them. And so if I can use my spirituality, my higher power or your God or whatever God that you have, if you can use that and go like, okay, God, I'm going to hang out here. And I, and I have faith and trust that it's going to turn out for the best. And that, as long as I believe it's going to turn out for the best, we have a saying here in Los Angeles that um, it, uh, it all, it, it, there, I say, there's always a happy ending. If it's not a happy ending yet, it's not over with yet. So, right? It's like, yeah, we just have to believe in that. Like, like, okay, if it's not a happy ending, then it's not the ending yet. And that, and I think, and I mean, 
And one thing that's, that I'm benefiting from is, is the, the Zoom meetings. When, believe me, when I first did my first Zoom meeting, I was asked to speak at a meeting and not, then we switched over to Zoom. I was going like, oh my God, no, my, my camera, like the anonymity, like I'm like, I can't deal with this. I can't do it. I just can't. Now it's like, okay, look, I'm at a Zoom meeting for three hours, right? Um, and I'm actually, um, I'm moving to part of our to Mexico um, for retirement. And so now Zoom meeting is going to be my lifeline, right? Because I live in Los Angeles where I have a meeting every day of the week within a, a mile. And now it's like, okay, where am I going to? So I'm going to, as I transition to Puerto Vallarta, I now have meetings I can go to. I can go my my Saturday morning meeting. I got my meetings all over the place. So that's what I'm saying is we can either use it as a, we can either go the dark side. And I believe that that's step three. Step three made decision to my will, my life, the care of my higher powers, I understand it, right? So I can either turn my will, my life over to, my human ego, which lives in fear, which lives in anxiety, which lives in mistrust, which lives in like this, this constant state of less than, or I can turn over my higher power, which is peace, love, hope, patience, kindness, gratitude, acceptance, laughter. And so that to me is step three. So if I turn, my, if I turn the, the pandemic over to step three, then I can use it to, to, I can get through it. Not if that made sense. I, I wanna add a couple of things to that, Terrell, if I may. Um, two other things really helped me with the pandemic and have so far. One of them is in AA 12 and 12, step three, it says, uh, it talks about whether in Salerno Beachhead or at here and at home safe, we find that alcoholic stayed sober or you know, I'm screwing it up, but it's something to that effect. So I always think about if there were a couple of guys from AA, newly sober, who literally in World War II, in trenches where people are dying around them, where the only mechanism for dealing with life was drinking. If they managed to stay sober, I can be the person in pandemic who doesn't gain weight. If they manage, you know, the minute the pandemic isolates me for four years, which is the duration of World War II, then I'll start, you know, feeling really sorry for myself. But until we reach four years, there's a precedent that those young soldiers managed to stay sober in an environment where everyone numbed out. The second thing also ties into what Terrell said, we match a calamity with serenity. I felt a responsibility as a member of a 12-step program where we, we, we turn normal conditions into a calamity, leave alone a real challenge, that I had more coping skills for my normie friends, that they hadn't had to exercise that muscle a lot. You know, as Terrell said, I turn everything into, oh, will be me. So I know how to get through that. So the, you know, I have friends who had, hadn't had a will be me, and all of a sudden they were faced with real, will be us. So I would call them, I would just listen. I didn't have any pearls of wisdom for someone who has children. I don't have children, don't want children, don't know what they'll tell you if your kids are sitting there yelling. But I could just say, I'm so sorry, I understand. I'm so sorry, I understand. But it was the constant, so I wasn't just of service to my fellow OA people. 
I, there are so many people in my um, family members and work people who feel like my family that I'd reach out to them and say, how are you doing? How are you doing? And they'd say, you know, I went to line, I was standing in line for toilet paper and this happened and that happened. And I'd say, guess what? My cousin lives in Iran. She stood for to toilet paper. Um, she stood in line for toilet paper for the entire duration of her life. And we're lucky that it's just been two weeks. You know, we don't know what it's like to go and reach for something and not have it there. And lucky for me, I have cousins who constantly write me to say, you know, we can't even find aspirin here. God knows what the hell I'm putting in my system. When I'd share that with them, I could feel a little bit of anxi their anxiety going down. So it helped me. I, I still feel even right now to this day, two years later, it is incumbent on us who have tools for dealing with a mental obsession to help people who don't have it. And we don't have to be wise or clever or levitate. Just say, hey, I'm sorry. I, I, I know it must be awfully hard. That's the level of my sensitivity, but I do it. Because we are privileged. We really are privileged in these programs. Thank you both for those answers. Seppi, I would like to just, um, it was something you said reminded me of something I heard at a meeting not too long ago. Um, you said that uh, in World War II in the trenches, mm -hmm. uh, men were seeking alcohol for oblivion. Mm -hmm. And someone in a meeting recently said, oblivion is not comfort. And I thought, oh. holy shit, I love, you know, comfort foods. Yeah, that's ah. comfort foods. And I thought, just a second. I think oblivion is, oh, maybe you're right. Exactly. <laughs> Me too, Trish. I knew I would have never made that distinction. Good call. I was a little taken aback. So one more question for the two of you. Uh, and, and Seppi, I don't know whether you're an atheist, but I got pretty clear that Terrell is. What does step three look like for an atheist? Well, I think I kind of answered that earlier about how I just turn it over to, to good to good, right? I mean, it literally, and trust that when I turn it over to good, it's good. And I don't, and I do not know, I don't know anything about anything, except I know that our sun will explode in like 8 billion years or something like that. You know, it's like, all that stuff is like, okay. But to me, like, I just go, and, one thing I really, I, I didn't bring this up, but what I got with the fudge circle, with the, that I got with food when I was like, when I would buy my food and have it in the car with me, I would get the, I could drop my shoulders. I get that with meditation or just by, just the breath. It goes like, and I get that without binging which is kind of like what you said about oblivion, right? Like I, I, I don't have to be, oblivion is not comfort. I mean, we, it's like we, we talk about comfort food, but I've never been comfortable with comfort food. I call it comfort food, but I've never been comfortable with it. My brother has this great saying, he's a compulsive reader. He says like, I never ate till I was full. I ate till I was miserable, right? And that, <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's how we are. We, 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 we don't eat till we're full. We eat till we're miserable, and so um, I guess uh, it's the 
the um, for me, it really is just like, I don't know what's happened. I mean, if I've said it once, I've said probably a thousand times to sponsees, and I, which means I'm telling it to myself, your, crack, your crystal ball is cracked. You don't have a clue, right? You don't know why or how what's going to happen. So step three to me is just going like, okay, whatever, I trust in the good. I trust in the good. And if I trust in the good and I behave that way, right? That means then my behavior has got to act upon that. Not from like, oh my God, oh my, oh my God. Like, like it's going to fall apart. So the whole world's coming to an end. It's like, no, I, no. Trust in the good. And, and, you know, I've heard stories where Buddhist monks were tortured and they could still meditate and find that inner peace. And that to me is what I'm striving for in this program is the inner peace and peace is not found without, it's or outside, it's found within. And they told us many times in this program, it's an inside job. And there ain't nothing ever out there that's going to change you or to make you so that you'll find that peace. That you've got to change the insides. And by changing the insides, that's where you'll find it. And I don't, so now, step three, I turn everything over. Right, because if I'm peaceful here, it's all I care, right? Regardless of what job I have, regardless of where I live, regardless of anything, I gotta find the peace. And if something disrupts that peace, then I gotta work on changing that. Okay. Tish, you're muted. Seppi, did you have anything to add? Oh, no, I thought it was just for him. Um, no, I, I have a very old fashioned avuncular, you know, grandpa um, image. Yeah, no, nothing adventurous for me. It's a, it's a grandpa. I love my grandpa and he loved me and I was his favorite child. So I just think my God is my grandpa, just a lot more uh, powerful, a lot wiser. Cause my grandpa used to give me candy. <laughs> awesome. All right, so we are at the time for closing. And um, Terrell and Seppi, thank you, thank you, thank you for your shares. It's absolutely spectacular. And you two have chosen to close with the third step prayer. So I'm putting. Oops. Church, you're muted again. Carol, you have to read it. Yeah, honey. instead of um, hitting to put it the uh, third step prayer in the chat, I somehow unmuted myself <laughs> or, or <laughs> muted myself. So um, thank you to the two of you for being our speakers today. It was wonderful to have you with us and we appreciate your sharing your experience, strength and hope while giving service to the OA program. Together, we get better. A reminder that the opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. Please remember to honor our commitment to each other's anonymity. Take the stories, but leave the names behind. OA Rise's goal is twofold. One goal is to provide speaker meetings and recordings to support OA members. The second goal is to support the World Service Office. We will post seventh tr tradition contribution information one more time in the chat. Please give what you are able so that we can continue to keep OA Rise going strong. Lastly, OA Rise continues to look for members who are willing to give service to the meeting. We are always looking for speakers or perhaps speaker suggestions, um, as well as members 
who would be interested in joining our team to be a co-host and help do things like raise your hand and post the prayers in the chat um, or do a little chat about our seventh tradition. So, and, and you really do have very much a voice and a vote in the process of how OA Rise works. Uh, no previous Zoom experience is necessary. If you are willing to be of service, please send a message to one of the co-hosts or reach out through the website. Thank you everyone for being with us today. After we close this meeting, we will open it up the chat for a short period so you can, un and you'll be able to unmute yourselves. Uh, please join us on two weeks from today, February 20th, for Protect Your Abstinence. Know your internal and external triggers. So very practical uh, event in a couple of weeks, same uh, link, same time, same location. And we're going to close with the serenity, uh, I'm sorry, with the third step prayer. So I'm going to allow people to unmute themselves, maybe if I'm lucky. Um, okay, you are now allowed to unmute yourself if you would like to join us in the third step prayer, which is posted in chat. God, God I offer myself to thee to, be, to build with, to build me, with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may do to better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May, May I do, I do thy will always. Amen. Yeah. Keep coming back. Keep coming back at once. Woohoo! Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. You made it three hours. I made it sitting still for three hours. Who knew? Touchdown.